This episode is being brought to you by Capstone Games with some amazing games that's going to be coming out at Gen Con, including Watergate, Ragusa, and the Hot Game Pipeline, which was introduced at Origins. To find out more, go to capstone-games.com. Hey, y'all. It's time for another episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. Today, you're going to need not one, not two, but three moon pies. The guys give you a scurry report for Empires of the North. Adam and Travis, our boys, join Marty to give a review of Warcry and a five-minute initiative for Abomination with Marty and Tony as played by Marty. And yes, you understood that correctly. And I would like to welcome everybody back to episode number 176, Empire of the Clouds. This is Rolling Dice and Taking Names. I'm Tony. Wow, you have really flipped a lot of that intro around from normal. It's like, where is he going? And this is Marty, by the way. Well, there's a reason for that. Last time we recorded, I was jet lagged which was obvious. This time, I didn't get to bed till 2 a.m. last night, and so I'm running on four hours of sleep, all because of a trip I took to Raleigh using a train. Why didn't you just drive? It was cheaper. And I, you know me, I'm a train guy. I wanted to enjoy the train. How can you go to Char Grill in Raleigh if you don't have a car? Uber. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. For those who don't know, Char Grill is like the burger place to go to uh, in, in Raleigh. And every time, I know every time I go, Tony, I make a trip there if possible. I can understand that because, you know, it's, it's the taste of home. It is. Oh, by the way, kudos to using an Iron Maiden song from the name of this episode, Empire of the Clouds. Is that our first Iron Maiden song, asking, knowing that you don't know the answer? Then why would you ask, knowing that I don't know the answer? I don't answer? know, because... As the words were coming out of my mouth, I realized you're not going to be able to answer that. No, I'm not. I mean, it's the obvious use of why I used it, but there's another one. And we'll see if you can figure it out. I, I probably can't because to be honest with you, Tony, I have no clue where this episode is going. And here's why. It's off the rails. The past couple episodes, we have been recording bits and pieces of episodes kind of all over the place and fitting them together. And yet, this is another one of those episodes because we've been very fortunate to get a couple games in uh, that's going to be released at Gen Con that we want to cover. The thing is, is we're recording the intro now, and I might be playing some of these games later on to have in a segment later, but I don't know if that's going to happen or not. So I really have no clue what people are going to hear after the intro. They're used to that. And even if we do have a clue, we go off script and we don't really know what we're talking about. <laughs> Especially when, you know, a president is playing Spider-Man. Okay, we have a correction from the last episode. Uh, when I was talking to Tony about Spider-Man Far From Home, I asked him, what are his three... Uh, ranked the three uh, guys who played Spider-Man, Tobey Maguire, Tom Holland, and I said James Garfield instead of Andrew Garfield. And many of you caught me on that going, uh, James Garfield was a president. And Tony, it's one of those things, as soon as I said it, I knew the Garfield was right, but I thought, no, that first thing doesn't sound right. But you know what? I just rolled with it. I could have just said pause let me go check on the computer and then come back and then like do that segment again but nope i just ran with it and then now i look like a fool which is typical uh, rdtn fashion and you know i'm not going to correct you because i have no clue as to what the actors and actresses names are 
None. You let me hang myself on that because when I threw it out there, I thought, if I'm wrong, Tonio will correct me. And you just went right along with it. And I went, hey, I must be right. Yeah, like I I don't. That's one thing. I very seldom know actors and actresses' names of in movies unless I've seen them multiple times. So I could not help you there, and I apologize for that, for leaving you. But a second correction. Oh, yeah. Um, so when, when, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of corrections yeah. here. Go ahead. Yeah. So when Donna and I talked about bricks that we um, mentioned that in the, when you are starting the game, you have to pick a certain type of brick to put in to the grid. And we said, you can just pick one. Well, we were wrong. TR Knight pointed out to us over on our pod pledge channel that, Hey, you're wrong. He was a little bit nicer than that, <laughs> but he, he was absolutely right. No, no, that was about it, though. That was about it. You pick from the first column, and therefore, subsequent plays, we were playing it wrong. We played it right the first time. I went back and looked at all the sheets, but that's fine. We've corrected it since then, but as with any RTD, RDTM fashion, we will always modify rules because we forget. That's just one of the things we do. And but now it's been corrected. But it's 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 one of those little rules, you know, that you that you can easily free. Oh, I know how to play this. And it's those little rules that will come up and bite you in the hiney. Speaking of that segment, the past couple times that I've done a segment with Vanessa, you've gotten on me because I took a five-minute initiative and turned it in seven or eight minutes. Let me tell you the length. Of that review that you did for bricks, plus your like rank them for okay. uh, rolling rights, eighteen minutes, eighteen minutes. Do not ever get on me for running over on a five minute review when you did an eighteen minute thing. First off, I did not say it was going to be a five minute review. Second, I was giving Donna just play equal to what you and Vanessa have done in the past. So now everything has been balanced in the world. <laughs> So, so, so you decided to combine all of it in just a one segment. It's like, I'm taking 18 minutes right now. Okay, we're called up. And once again, we were sleep deprived, jet lagged. So it just took a while. Like you pointed out, it was like me interviewing her. And so it took me a while to get her going, which is the other tie back to the song. That song is over 18 minutes long. It is. Yep. You're right. So look at me. I'm just, I'm just good. <laughs> You just got a lot of little Easter eggs inside the title of that song. Absolutely. Hey, but I do know one thing that song is referencing. I assume that Empire of the Clouds is also in reference to a segment that I know we're going to have because we've already recorded it. And that's the Empires of the North Scurry Report. Uh, which, and Empires of the North is the new game from Portal Games that will be coming out at Gen Con. So there's two tiebacks. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But I see that you were able to come back and record from your Southern Fried Gaming Expo in Atlanta. Did you have a good time? It was absolutely fabulous. If you like tabletop games and you like video games, and I know a lot of people that like both, you've got to check this out, man. So uh, it was me, my... And my three sons, hey, that was a TV show from the 60s. Uh, me and my three sons went down to Atlanta to check this out. We got there on Friday. When we got there, we got our badges. And uh, it's in a hotel. And so we went up to the area where, where it was uh, set up. And we went to some of the rooms looking around. It's like, okay, well, here's a room. Uh, got three or four video games. Oh, that's cool. Oh, here's a room where they're doing like tournaments and stuff. Oh, okay. Six or seven pinball machines. And we thought, hey, that, that's all right. This is going to be fun this weekend. And then we saw this sign that said arcade 
and I had an arrow. We walked down a hall, walked down another hall, and then basically walked into a, a room that was about the size of one of the halls at Gen Con, and it was packed with old school arcade games and pinball games, just rows and rows of them, all free play. And we were like, oh, it was like the mecca of arcade games and pinball machines. It was Amazons. Oh, no quarter required, huh? Oh my goodness, dude. It is. It was so much fun. Oh, and I immediately went over. I got on Tempest. I got, it took me a couple plays. I got the number one score and it stayed there for a while. Somebody eventually beat it, but I had the number one score on Tempest and my little initials up there for a bit. And then I went over to do Robotron. Okay. There's some good Robotron players. Number one, that machine was never free. Robotron is like a super popular game. But when I finally got on, I didn't do that great because the joysticks were really stiff. I need them in a little bit looser. You know, it, it, you know, for me, it was just a little too stiff for me. I understand. It's the machine's issue, not your... Uh, hand-eye exactly. coordination. I understand. But man, there were games I haven't thought about or seen since the 80s. Uh, Wizards of War, like oh. W-O-R. What was the game that you wanted, that you was hoping was there? I could not remember. It was actually Pinball, Chase HQ. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know if that was there. I did not look. By the way, finding an empty pinball machine to play at was almost impossible. If one came open, you just need to jump in. You could usually find an arcade machine to play at, but uh, the pinball was a lot harder to find. But man, and imagine hundreds of these things in this big space. It is loud. Mm-hmm. You cannot hear a thing in there uh, with all the machines going. But oh my gosh, it was so much fun just to walk up and down the aisle. Hey, I'm just going to go play this. We're going, hey, Crystal Castle, sweet. I'm going to play this. I'm going to play that. Hey, look, Gyrus. I used to be good at this. I'll play this. Oh. So good. And then in the middle of the uh, the main entrance, they had a nice uh, area set up for tabletop gamers. So there was about, uh, I don't know, 12 to 18 tables, long tables set up. They had a library where you could go check out games and play. You could play to win uh, over the course of the... Uh, the weekend at first, the tables were pretty sparse. Not a lot of people there, but Saturday night it was hopping. A lot of people in there were, were playing games. Uh, they had some rooms around the areas where there's some like video game tournaments going on. There was an RPG room set up. There were sessions on miniature gaming. Uh, there was an old school console room, which was neat. Basically, the console is going back to like Pong, ColecoVision, Atari 2600 set up. You can just sit down and play them. Uh, that was that was really neat, and uh, they had some panels. And I, for the first time ever, I got to moderate a panel. There were four board game designers coming in. It was, it was a tabletop design 101. Uh, it's how to get into tabletop design. Some tips uh, from professionals who have done some uh, designs for tabletop games. And I got to moderate. And let me tell you, moderating is a totally different headspace than like being on a panel. You actually have to think other than being on the panel where you can just talk. Exactly. And it's one of those things that you talk, then get out of the way. It's like, start the conversation, get out, let them talk. But the thing was, too, is we had some people who really had a lot of information to share, and then you got an hour. So you're trying to keep them on a schedule, and we want to have 15 minutes questions and answer at the end. So not only is moderation kind of keep the conversation going, but to make it stop. Mm-hmm. So you can flow it into other things too. But uh, I appreciate them for letting me do that. And then I had a chance to be on a panel where I talked about some uh, hot games that people might be interested in. And my top five were, uh, if you like these types of genres of video games, what is an analogous board game uh, that you may like? I mean, like an obvious ones. If you like first person shooters, 
Adrenaline was inspired from first-person shooter games. Uh, that sort of discussion. If you like dungeon crawlers, Gloomhaven's a good one uh, to do. So I kind of had a top five uh, for those. So the entire weekend uh, was great. The facilities were great. I've already told them, man, I would love to come back. The boys had a blast. I mean, they stayed busy the entire three days just doing tons of things. So if you're into old arcade games, pinball machines, and board games... Next year, you need to come out to Atlanta in July and check this out. How was the food there? We always rank cons by food. There wasn't a lot of places right in the hotel. There was a little mall, but only had like a Chick-fil-A. No, not Chick-fil-A. It had a Subway and a little uh, Asian place and then a Mongolian grill. Mongolian grill is good, but it was kind of, you know, it was pricey. You could walk about a quarter mile, a third of a mile to get to an area that has some Chick-fil-A's and some pizza places and stuff like that. So it was okay. Uh, food wise, that that's where it was kind of kind of hurting a little bit. Now on our way in, uh, we did go by uh, Fat Matt's Rib Shack. Anyway, it's a famous rib place in Atlanta that's been shown on uh, Food Network. Oh my gosh! When you started eating the rib, basically the meat would just fall off the bone. You might as well just go ahead and take it off the bone because it ain't going to stay on there. It was amazing ribs. Could you have gotten near the Marta and been able to get downtown? No. Okay. If you don't know Atlanta, you don't know where this is. It's right near the Beltway off 75, so the Marta is not there. It's very easy to get to in the car because it's right off the interstate. In fact, you can see it right there on the interstate. If you happen to know where the Braves baseball stadium is, it's like right across the street from there. Well, it sounds like you had an incredible time, and I hope I can get it scheduled in my con. Exp- Should I cancel Gen Con and go to this or... Which one would you recommend, Gen Con or this? You know me, I get one. Well, luckily, this is over the weekend. No vacation required, so just go. Just go. This is easy. Okay. You can drive, no no vacation needed, so it's just a weekend trip. Just a weekend trip. I should be able, and, and Donna loves her pinball. But, you know, that leads me to think about something new that's coming to Rolling Dice and Taking Names. That is a new segment that we're calling No Quarter Required. I bet y'all can figure out what it's about. We know that a lot of games have been coming out in app version. I mean, Suzanne Sheldon is well known for talking about apps on phones and iPads and Androids and iOSs. Well, with the recent release of Switch and Asmodee getting into more digital games, they're coming out with a lot of games, not only things like Steam or PC, but they're coming out on the uh, Switch. And Tony, you and I, as recent Switch owners got a chance to check out a new game that's on the Switch. It's from Asmodee called Catan. It's exactly what it is. You can play Catan on the Switch. And this is a bad thing. I had Catan, Catan. Which is it? Catan or Catan? You know, we've had this discussion before. If we just go 50% on both, we'll be half right, half wrong. I had it on the Xbox. And Donna would take the controller and say, let's play Catan. Well... It wasn't me and her playing. It was her playing against the AI of the computers, okay? Mm -hmm. Because I only had one controller. So she would do that. And plus, it really doesn't work that well, right? When you got two people sitting side by side with one another. And then when I loaded this up on the Switch, she's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I've heard that music. What's that music? (laughs) And I go, it's nothing. Don't worry. It's just me playing my Switch. It's, you know, it's it's a new, it's new area in Breath of the Wild. Don't, that's not, no, it's not. That's Catan. I'm like, yes, it is, sweetie. 
is Catan. And that's it. You lost your switch. That's it. Switch is gone. It's gone. It's over. Forget it. You know, I'm not even going to be able to take it to Gen Con now. Asmodee provided each of us keys to, to check it out. And here's the thing. It's Catan. You know exactly what it is. It's playing Catan on the Switch. But what I wanted to find out was how's the UI and everything. So there, there are some games where the UI is is not that great. It's a little bit hard to use. And I was wondering, will the Switch require to have to use a touchscreen? It does not. Tony, I think the controls on the game are pretty well good. It makes nice use of like a radial menu for selecting your actions where you press a button and you have a little radio menu mm-hmm. to select, you know, do you want to build a road? Do you want to buy a deployment card? Uh, you can easily pull up your cards and see what you've got. You can scroll around the board and look easily using the analog sticks and everything. I found that after just a couple games, the controls were pretty intuitive to me and it looks really nice, especially in handheld mode. Probably one of the things that I enjoyed the most out of playing this was when you were getting ready to agree to your selection holding the button down to register it. And if you change your mind, you let up the button. I don't have to sit there and go, yes, yes. You know what I'm saying? I liked that. I like that a lot. It took me a while to get used to it. It's like, why am I having to wait so long? It's because you can't accidentally make a stupid mistake. And it's not the annoying, I want to do this. Do you really want to do this? confirmation dialogue that a lot of games have. Now, I haven't played enough of them to see about the AI. That's always one of the first things I look at. You know, how's the AI play, things like that. I will say, in a few of the games, I'm not as smart as the computer, but that's okay. I'll get better, and I will learn its its nuances. But I enjoy the campaign mode, the single player. Now, of course, multiplayer, you know, we've got to be online at the same time, and we just have not been able to sync up our schedule. I wish there was a sync play, yep. but... Yeah, you get what you get. Yeah, and, and that's the uh, same way. I'm always of the type, if there's like some sort of board game app, I love a sync play. And I think, Tony, you're probably used to that from Ascension, right? Mm-hmm. You can crank up a game, multiple games with people, take your turn and, and move on. Here, you do have to be online at the same uh, time, which you have to coordinate a little bit, and, and that's fine. But it does make for some good couch co-op. So you could sit down with other people and you know, play on the TV uh, and everything. If you have, if you're locally playing, like you said, there's a campaign mode which provides these different scenarios that you try to beat. So it's not just playing the standard fair game. There's other things you can do in the solo mode. Well, and I think what spoiled us was when we played Five Tribes. We had that, but you know, for me, it's going to be a great time killer. I mean, yes, it's Catan, Catan. You know, why everybody's hating on it or they love it. Whatever. I still enjoy playing it, especially when I'm up against a good AI. And so far, it's been pretty darn good. Well, and here's the thing. This is one of those games. It's, it's, it's a gateway game. This is on the Switch. So there are a lot of people... Uh, was it 30 to 40 million Switches sold or something like that that maybe don't play board games and have no clue what this is. And now it's sitting out there for $19.99 uh, regular price. And it's like, well, I'm going to go check out and, and see what this is. In fact, one of my favorite game reviewers, uh, Beat 'em Ups, uh, did a review on this game and he really enjoyed it and he had never really played it or had that much time to mess with it. And so here's a guy with almost 600,000 subs on his YouTube channel talking about Catan. And so most people watching it aren't board gamers and it's just, it's just a great entry game. But Tony, I'm also excited because Pandemic was announced and it's coming out from Asmodee too. So I haven't looked into that. I have Pandemic for my iPad. And I enjoy playing that. 
That's that's a great time killer too. When you're just sitting there mm-hmm. and you can do a little pandemic, easy board setup, don't have to worry about the cards or anything. Boom, here it is. Okay, let's see if I can do that. I'll be very interested to see how they do that, how they if they implement a campaign mode. Yeah, so that is Catan from Asthma Day, uh digital. Uh, it is out now. If it's on the, if you want to play it on the Switch, it's there. It's also on other platforms too. But we're specifically targeting the Switch because more and more games are going to be coming out on the Switch. And uh, for Tony and I, who maybe stink at like first-person shooters and real twitchy games, these slow-paced, moving board games are uh, absolutely perfect for us. Now there was a another game too. Uh, that we were going to check out and uh, we were told to hold off uh, Lorenzo El Magnifico, uh, which came out on Steam for the PC uh, version was on Kickstarter last year and we got our early access. And as I was learning to play it, Tony, I was like, man, there are some graphical, really weird things here. It's one of those things, the UI doesn't really match the board. Well, I wasn't the only one that thought that. And they reached out to us and said, hey, uh, guys, just hold off on for a little bit. We're going to have an update coming out soon. They've been taking suggestions from BGG. And so they're going to tweak it. And then uh, you and I will get a chance to play it later on once they've tweaked the UI and everything. So, you know, next time we do a, a no quarter required, uh, we can uh, talk about that one. Yeah, I'm excited about that. One of my favorite games of all time. Can't wait to do it. Get it loaded up. I hope the old computer, the old 8088 can handle it. I'm sure it can. <laughs> oh, that's true. That, that's another thing why Switch is good for you because... If it comes out for the Switch, you know you got a system that you can play it on as opposed to the PC where you have no clue at this point. Exactly. But, you know, that's one of the things about these board games going on to Steam or onto the, the computer. I know they're not going to be so graphic intensive. That's right. And by the way, uh, if, if people haven't checked out uh, the Castles of Burgundy, new one that came out for the Steam, what an amazing job with the UI on that game to take... Instead of just a basic, oh, here's the table and here's the board and here's how it looks, they've really tweaked that UI and make it more look like a video gamey type thing. It was really, really well done. That, I mean, that and uh, what did you just mention? What did we just play on the Switch? Uh, five Tribes? No, not Five Catan? Tribes. No, not Catan. It's not Five Tribes. It's, oh my God. I can picture the box in my head. There's the dice game version that came Istanbul. out last year that we really liked. Istanbul. <laughs> I think you did say five tribes earlier. It's not five tribes. It's Istanbul. Istanbul for the Switch is also uh, uh, really good. But Tony, something came out today that I didn't even get a chance to check out because it's not out on a platform that I can play on Android. A sil- an app for silver from Bezier Games came out? Yes, it did. Y'all heard us rave about it on a recent episode where we talk about silver. Yes, it is a app on Android. I downloaded it today. <laughs> I was in a meeting all day, which didn't require any of my attention, but this app did. It will teach you the game. So far, yeah, there's some little quirky things. I'm sure there'll be some updates, but I'm having a blast with it, just like I did the game, Marty. It teaches you the rules, and it will teach you how you're playing the game wrong, which I know, you know, like I said here on RDTN, we kind of modify rules over time, but I'm having a blast <laughs> with it. <laughs> Everybody's listening is like, I never want to play a game with you. Yeah, well, how, how, what do you think that rule should be? I, they probably mean that. Let's just play it that way. And, and so I'm excited about that because there, there's always some questions. Even in, in Silver, there was some questions about how the cards would play and whether or not you could do certain things. So I'll be interested to see if those situations come up and I'll be able to go back and say, oh, by the way, but 
Bezier, by releasing this, in my opinion, is making it so that you can say, hey, I do want to go pick up this game at Gen Con. Is it multiplayer or is it just against AI? Well, since I don't know if it's multiplayer because I didn't have a chance, I just I think it's just AI. I'll be honest with okay. you. I just hit the button that says new game and it says pick from four decks, pick it, pick your two cards. Um, of course, you can't read them because they're so tiny. They're real tiny, but you can hold your finger on them and they'll blow them up on your screen. The artwork is there. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. So I'm, I'm really excited about it. But I will say that the text on the card does come up at the bottom of the screen. Hey, once again, another beautiful time killer for me. Two-player silver. I mean, it's, it's a no-brainer. It's free. And like you said, it's a great way to introduce the game to see if people uh, like it, which again is also will be coming out at Gen Con. We did talk about it earlier, and it's one of those things I will be for sure uh, keeping in, in my collection. So there you go. Hey, hey, hold on. Wait, one more thing about silver. But probably one of the things that if your phone goes to sleep because you're like doing a podcast and recording with someone and you're playing a game, not that I'm doing oh, that geez. right now. It mm-hmm. goes back to the title screen, and then you just have to hit the little resume button like I just did right there, just to mm-hmm. let you know. So, you know, it's not like it goes back. That's kind of cool. I like that. But anyway. That's great. So I think this is just the beginning uh, with Asmodee dedicating more and more resources to taking so many of their games, and they have so many now, and porting them over not only to PC but to Switch. I think Switch could become a pretty decent, viable platform for playing games and we just recently got keys to check out Gloomhaven on the PC, and I'm betting this is one that Tony might not be able to run, but I'll be able to. So we'll be coming back in a future segment of No Quarter Required to talk about Gloomhaven, and maybe maybe we'll get a copy and uh, check out Pandemic on the Switch. Marriagemarket.com. Why do you do this to me? Why do you have these massive sales right before Gen Con? I'm trying to make room for my new games coming from Gen Con. But no, MiniatureMarket.com has their map free restriction. Don't hamper me, sell. I hope you got a chance to go check it out. People were jumping all over the stuff. They were selling games left and right at miniaturemarket.com. And of course, they got the pre-orders ready for Gen Con. If there's a game that you think is going to be hot at Gen Con and you're not going to be able to go there, go check out miniaturemarket.com to see if you can get a pre-order in. I know I'm already looking at it, looking at what everybody's putting out there about the top 25 games that you want to possibly get at Gen Con. I'll even be there, but instead of fighting the crowds, I'm looking at miniaturemarket.com before those pre-orders. I don't know if I said it, but go check out miniaturemarket.com. One of the games I was super excited about that Ignacy announced earlier this year from Portal Game is Empires of the North because I love 51st State and I love Imperial Settlers and so does Tony. And the fact that we were excited about this game, people would say, well, it's just because you're friends with Ignacy and he sponsors you that you'll like this game, which is why we said, okay, fine. We'll bring on two impartial people into the podcast to help us talk about it. And that's our scurry report, buddies, Mark and Nate. Guys, thank you for coming on and bringing us some integrity to the show. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having us. Yeah. Hey, (laughs) (laughs) y'all. So so these guys have no affiliation with Portal whatsoever, so they can slam this all they want without any repercussions while Tony and I has to suck up. Well, Nate may want to 
design a game and get it to Portland. You might need <laughs> to do a little true. suckage. Yeah, I wouldn't say no repercussions, but yeah, no, we'll be fair and honest. Not that you guys wouldn't. I mean, I know, I know, but people are like, well, it's just because you have a commercial for them. And our logo's on the back of the box. Just right off the bat, I will say when I first heard this game was coming out, I immediately thought, okay, it's going to be Imperial Settlers like second edition or Imperial Settlers with a couple extra things added on. And to me, aside from the theme and the fact that it's an engine builder, maybe some common terms, this game doesn't play nearly as much like Imperial Settlers as I thought it was going to. It's been a while since I've played Imperial Settlers. I like this game a whole lot more than I do Imperial Settlers. I, I enjoyed it much more, and I think it's uh, more strategic. Yeah, and for my point, I, I love Imperial Settlers, but I do think it's actually kind of Imperial Settlers 2.0. But for me, mm. that is comfort. What Ignacy has done here is he hasn't strayed very far from the formula. He has made refinements where needed, but it still gives me the same feeling of that engine building like core that 51st State and then later Imperial Settlers has done. So really, I do see it as a second edition, but I don't view that as a like a negative at all. It's like comforting that I know kind of some of the mechanics, but then he's you know, honed off some of the rough edges on other parts. Right. And for me, it was more along the lines of he made it easier for me to understand. I've got one draw pile for my faction. I can concentrate there and focus on that. So for me, I think he he said, you know, McCree's not that good at these games. So I'm going <laughs> to ease up on this and, and design it a little bit simpler. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not like you're not doing a lot of thinking in this game because you've got that engine building going. You're how do I maximize my points? Because even the rule book says the way you win is you get the most victory points. When you look at 51st State, 51st State has a pool of common cards that everybody's using to build their engine. Imperial Settlers has a mixture. You have a faction deck, and you have common cards that you're drawing from. Here, everybody has their own unique deck. There's no common deck that's, that's like Imperial Settlers. Everybody has their own unique feeling deck, and there are six factions in play. We've just finished playing two games. All six factions were used. So far in our discussions, we were playing, Tom, the difference between the some of them. Some of them are drastically different than the others. They have different ways they play and different ways to win the game. Yeah, and to me, they felt more different than even 51st State and Imperial Settlers factions did. Like, we, we were able to play all the factions, like you said, and I do feel like they were different enough that you know, you have to use a different strategy to win with each one of them and that they're more different, I guess, than previous games. I mean, for me, it was definitely different. I did like in part of this game, you know, you're not automatically getting that production. So that's one of the thought points you've mm. got to figure out is how do I generate the resources to turn the engine on to get it moving? That to me is probably one of the biggest design changes that I've enjoyed, I enjoyed with, with the game. And that's a big drastic change from 51st state Imperial settlers at the beginning of every round. Hey, look at all your production guards. You get all that and you use it or lose it here. It's totally different. You don't automatically get it, but you get to keep your resources from turn to turn. That is one thing that I thought that was going, I wasn't going to like about the game is that when you go and you produce resources, you only get to do one farm. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's not going to be good. But once you get into the game and you start playing, you start realizing how it works and how you can get resources in other ways. And so it really doesn't hinder you as much as I thought it would. And also as the only person in the group that played the same faction twice, 
I really enjoy the fact that after I played the faction the first time, the second time, I knew what I needed to do. I knew that this was the faction that wants to go out and conquer. They want to go out and and they want to get the axes, and that's how they're going to get victory points. So you you basically have a defined path. You know what you need to do. You just have to execute it correctly. Which is going to make me ask you, because you just said something, is will that make that faction repetitive oh god here we go but think about it inside joke inside joke but still but still you you understand what I'm saying you just made that statement I I see what you say but the thing was is I I enjoyed it playing it the second time I would like to play it again but there's what five other factions here that I can play that I can also explore and discover if I really want to on your own on your own (laughs) and I hear there's a solo mode too (laughs) But, but you didn't answer the question does that make this faction this is how you should always play it I think it would depend on who you are oh I'm sorry. Your question was, does that make the faction? That's the way you need to play it. Of course it does. Yes. I think it's designed to To, be that way. And I think if we're going to sit down and we're going to play again, I would want to play this faction. If I'm going to play with my wife and my daughter and my friend Joe, who have never played before, I'd pick up the hard faction and I would play them because it's a built-in handicap, right? But now that you've done that and I've seen how you've played that one and how you were generating points, now it's up to me to figure out how to stop you. Right. Yeah, that too. And there's that action in the building or in the game where you are able to... Kind of like Nate was begging me to keep knocking your cards out because yeah, but he you played won. your faction before. Right. And I used the same strategy he did. That's where the interaction comes in in this game, Marty, I think, where Imperial, maybe you don't have that. It's been a while, but do you have that interaction here? You've got to be. You can raise other people's buildings. Yeah, but here you've got to pay even more attention to what they're doing and be able to get to their buildings and, and knock out their way of generating quick victory points. I mean, yeah, but 51st State has that too. If you see an engine building cars, like, man, I'm going to get rid of that. The big difference is that I like in this one is you totally destroy the person's building and in 51st State Imperial Cellars. Here, you just deactivate it for that round. Right. So it's not gone. It's not nearly as brutal, but it's easier to do, I think. It's easier to get what you, what's called an axe token as a type of a resource. And you can just, on your turn, just go say, uh, basically exhaust that one card right there. You don't get to use it this round. Now, there are cards in place that let you unexhaust cards. So it's not like if you have the ability to unexhaust it, that could happen too. Yeah. And the other thing I really like of this, the, the player interaction in terms of like nuking other people's like production engine is pretty much the same as all other ones. Like Marty said, it's a little bit less severe in this one, but what they added was like the X, I think it's called the exploration and the exploration of uh, uh, nearby islands and distant islands adds a lot of player interaction because when you go to explore a new island, expedition, I'm sorry, expedition, Ex- because you. we're going to talk about the different explorations yeah. and different action. That's the action. So you take expedition, yeah. So when you take the sail action, you get to go out and go to a nearby island or a distant island and that go, and you get to go to the top of the queue. And then later players who take the sail action will go lower in the queue. There are only four car, uh, island cards out there, two of each type to uh, either conquer or pillage. Mm-hmm. And so that adds a whole nother level of interaction that I don't feel like 51st State or Imperial Settlers had. Yeah. Right. And now in this game, there, there are four phases of the game. The, one of them is the lookout phase where we draw four cards. Which may have been one of our favorite phases. Right. And I was going, so, you know, draw four cards, decide which ones you want to keep. Uh, Mark shaking his head, no. And then when you do that, you've got to put, 
you've got to spend your meeples to say, I'm going to keep these cards so I can use them to play. Now, the, the meeples, that's one of the ways they're doing where they maybe you spend on the cards. But to be able to draw cards, you'll be able to see. Go ahead. You are no, correct. You, you, you know, you were just, you were just uh, confusing me. So meeples can be used, or workers can be used one of uh, basically two ways. Two ways. To keep a card or activate some of the cards that some of the cards are in play. If and, you want to be and, more more precise and accurate, <laughs> yes, that's that's the way to say it. But, and you don't get those back till the end of the turn. And nice thing too is not you like you lose those workers, that's your pool of workers for the entire game and you can't add additional workers. But I read an article that uh, Ignacy posted saying one thing he really likes about terraforming Mars is at the beginning of the round is drawing cards and deciding what you want to keep, but it's going to cost you to keep them. So he wanted that same mechanic as like by the way, Every card in the deck is amazing. And if you drew, you get draw four cards, I would like, I would keep all four, but it's going to cost you four workers to do so. That also incentivizes you to get more workers, right? Sure. Yeah. And that, but that is, you know, and that's my standard trope, basically, even in Terraforming Mars, it's like that decision of trying to decide, do you need that action later on in the round or do you need this card? Because the cards are so good. You know, and and I always keep too many cards, and and I'm always like, oh, this stupid game. I don't want to play this game <laughs> because these choices are so hard. Yeah, and see, I take the exact opposite approach. To me, that draw four cards and you have to pay for any card you keep is the most interesting choice in the game. Those hard, I mean, that hard harder choice is more interesting than any choice in like Imperial Settlers or even in the engine building part of the game. Some of that kind of runs itself once you get it set up it's just the order you choose to like perform the actions but which cards you choose to keep and let go to the discard pile is like the most interesting part of the game in my opinion and it just so happened that two of the factions i played some of the actions to or some of the cost you had to pay to activate a card was discarding a card so i had to keep some cards and i was constantly torn it's like which one do i discard because they're all so good so i had to pay to keep it just so I can activate it and use it later on to discard it. So then I'm like, I'm torn. It's like, well, I need to keep enough so I can discard, but then I also got to keep enough to put them back, back into play. No, I can't play that faction. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't roll up in a ball in the corner. Like, <laughs> oh, I don't himself. know what to yeah. do. I loved it so much and I had to get rid of it. So after the lookout phase, then you actually start playing the main part of the game, which is the action phase. And we had talked about there are ways to get cards out on the table, buildings on the table, and some of them just have action abilities. And there's a call, spend a worker, spend a resource, whatever. You exhaust it and it goes on to the next person. But one of the most interesting, and that's typical of like the Imperial Settlers 51st State. A lot of these cards had actions. What I liked is in the middle of the table is this action selection wheel that's randomized each time. It has five different choices. And you randomly put them out together and it creates like a little five-sided pentagon. Pentagon. I couldn't think of the word. <laughs> and what you hit, each of you have two player tokens that you can assign to one of those five actions and take the action. It's called a clan action pawn, as Tony points it out in the rule book. So you got two of them. How you do you build a building? Well, on your turn, you could just say, hey, I got some resources. There's a cost associated with it. I play it and put it into play. I'm done. Or there's a construct ability on this wheel where you can select it and build it for free. There's populate, which is how you get one extra worker. There's harvest, and this is what Mark talked about earlier. You get to activate just one of your fields. That's one of the cards you have in play. You start with some basic fields in play. That's how you generate your resources. Explore just lets you draw a card. And sell, which you mentioned, is take one of your ships and put it into the queue. But something else that's really cool is, yes, you have two of those clan action pawns, 
but you can spend a food to move one of your pawns to one of the adjacent sides to the left or right of it and take a second action, which is why I like the randomized part because every time you play, the actions will be aligned differently. So during your turn, you can basically get four of the actions during on, the round. On, on during the round. But what's another key issue is that you're sitting there and while you say, I really need to take the harvest. But in your hand, you may have a card that says, hey, when you take this action in the round, you may play this card for free. I don't want that action, but I want this card. Mm -hmm. Well, there's another interesting choice you have to do. If I take the harvest action, then I can play this card, but I really don't need to harvest. Oh my gosh, what do I do? So that's another beautiful side of this game or an interesting choice that you have to make when you're playing the action phase. Yeah, and that's really where I think this is elevated beyond like 51st State and Imperial Settlers. That's where I see the refinement. Before those other games, I really feel like it's collect resources, decide how to spend them, and try to use efficiency to generate points. Here they've added like decision points throughout the various phases of the game, like which cards to keep is a decision point, which action to take, because this is action selection, this whole wheel here which is a whole new mechanic to the series, which action to take and which cards you get for free based on that. And then also the engine efficiency of like how you convert your resources into points. The decision on the Pentagon board about only being able to go to the action adjacent to the one that you first take, it really changes it too. In the second game, I didn't use my second action near as much as I did in the first game. And the reason was because of the way they lined up the, second action was never as advantageous to me mm -hmm. as it was in the first time. So, so yeah, I like that too. And did we mention the fact that the Pentagon, I think that's the word we're using for this thing right here. <laughs> well, yeah. That's never used in the rule book, but I'm looking at it. It's a five side sided yeah. shape. It's the action selection Pentagon. Up. It's like yeah. a penta pie. <laughs> yeah. Well, the way it's laid out here, because we kind of kept knocking around, but did we say it's random every game. Mix them up and then lay them out randomly. So mm -hmm. there's replayability, not repeatability. They just call them the five action tiles. It just happens to form uh, the Pentagon. And, uh, by the way, too, you can have as many a person's tokens on one selection. It's not like worker placement. Like Not like I can put it on populate and nobody else can do it. You can have all the tokens on the same action if you want. So you can't really block anybody out of taking an action. Yeah, and that's why I call it action selection. It's not really worker placement because there's no exclusion or interaction there at all, really. It's just the Jason is really the only reason that it matters beyond just picking something to do. And it's even called the clan action selection pawn. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. Now, one of the actions is sell, and we all have boats. We're going yeah. to go out. We're going to explore. We're going to create empires uh, in other lands. And this is the one, I think, Marty, it's, it's interesting where you're putting on a ship, and the next phase is is the expedition phase where you resolve that board start at the top of the queue and when you put a, a boat out there you have a decision to make you have to put a resource fish with it if you want to go to a distant island you have to decide if you're going to put a a uh is it a raise token uh raid, raid token raise raid or raises from the other game a raid token on there if you want to conquer it because the card has two sides pillage and conquer you can just pillage for free and just gives you some resources and you discard it. But if you conquer it, that's another card you get to put in your tableau that may have additional actions on it. And each one of those is worth a point at the end of the game, just like the location cards. But what got me about this one was 
this not necessarily resolved during this phase because there are factions that will say, oh, by the way, do you have a boat out there? As an action, go ahead and, and take one of those cards. Go ahead and pillage it. And I may have put in the ship out there going, sweet, I'm at the top of the queue. The mark says, oh, I'm going to take an action. I'm going to resolve one of my boats out there. And I'm going to take that card. I'll actually be honest too. Like I won the second game, but I actually think that the knowledge of what I was going to do helped me because y'all become gun shy to put those boats down because I was so hoggy on that board the first game. That's true. And you were kind of like, man, do I want to put something out there? Because then Mark's just going to go in there and he's going to take it away from me. And a lot yeah. of things helped me on the second well, game. Well, I didn't, on the second game, I didn't see where my engine would benefit from me going out to that. I'm not going to get, other than pillaging and getting victory points off those cards, I wasn't seeing a lot of advantage for me to go out there. I did grab one of them. But it did not benefit me. Now, Nate, who played it first, he did some of that. Yeah, and for me, that's really where the player interaction comes in. And that's some of the other tough decisions you have to make. Like, I was trying to convince Mark to use his precious axes to attack Tony's engine because I was afraid he was going to win. And Tony's thinking, why I go out and explore unknown lands? My engine doesn't seem to have anything to do with that. Well, Mark got it unabated the second game, really, without you know anybody uh, competing with him for those islands, and he he won the game by a large margin. Maybe there, you know, you have to kind of keep pay attention to what other people are doing. And and I thought Nate was just trying to trick me into using my axes instead of making victory points with him, which I was. <laughs> <laughs> And so after the ex, uh, expedition phase, you just basically clean up. You reset all your exhausted cards, and you pass the first player token and, and reset the islands that are out there, and you go again. And what I like about this in fifty, um, sorry, 51st State, yeah, the game ends once somebody reaches 25 points, and that's how this one works. If you played Imperial Settlers, it's after four rounds. It just so happens that both of our games ended in the fourth round, but once again, it's a race to that 25 points, and just like... 51st state, it ramps up slowly. Once somebody gets around to 15 or 16, almost guaranteed it will end next round because somebody's engine's going at that point. And make sure you read both columns in the rule book about the 25 points because we had our debate. Oh, we did, yeah. 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 Of, of how it triggers. How, how, when it triggers, triggers and how it triggers. And if, if it's in this phase, it triggers. You got one more round. If it triggers in the action phase, it ends immediately. So, you know, one of those things where a, a McCree rule or lack of reading would have created some issues. Well, just out of curiosity, we all read the rule book. What'd y'all think of the rule book? We didn't have too many questions as, as it came up. I think what's good. This is going to benefit from is probably a fact for the factions. Mm -hmm. I think there were some cards in the factions that wouldn't necessarily be in the rule book that people are going to wonder how exactly does this work? So that might be beneficial. But as far as the overall rules, I thought the rule book's pretty good. The rule book was fine. Yeah. I thought, uh, I mean, we only had a few of those, uh, interesting questions that only gamers ask, right. Come up, you know, um, like if you move your dude, you know, do you take the action, you know, which we eventually found in the, it book. was in the rules. Yeah, it was in the rule book. So, <laughs> Once again. So, yeah, I mean, I don't even think in, during the game, I was like, Hey, hand, hand me that rule book no you didn't yeah yep. so um yeah that's pretty good yeah it was a big improvement other uh, over previous rule books we had a couple of issues we had to like suss out and agree uh, you know come to a consensus as a group but overall we were we played the game correctly all the way through for the first time for all of us so and if you've seen portal games before it's got nice components all the uh resources are nice you've got a couple new resources in this one you have sheep and you have uh fish that are included what i like is there's inserts now 
uh, Portal has put in these nice trays and everything, and one of them is a removable tray with all the resources you just put on the table. It's almost like a little plastic broken token insert organizer and stuff. So when we're done, we'll just put it right back in the box and we're done. So thank you for making a, an organizer built into the box. That is, uh, that's super nice. Yeah, it is. All right, so here's the thing, guys. So we have Imperial Settlers. We got 51st State, and I know it's brand new, Empires of the North. And we've only played a couple games, but where, where do you put it uh, amongst those? Well, I, I'm always partial to 51st State, and then I'll go Empires of the North. And mm. then I'll go Imperial Settlers. Why 51st State? Just out of curiosity. It's like, is there something about it? Is it, it the theme? theme? It's the it's theme. The thing. You like it, the theme. I like the theme. And then when we played that expansion, there were some interesting mechanics that they added. However, overall, I think if I were to put 51st State, try to teach Donna or Rebecca or some, some other, you know, not big gamer question, gamer people, this would definitely find. This, this I can probably teach and they could probably understand a lot better. Okay, because of the production engine the, and, and how it comes into play. Hey, guys, it's real simple. Put your tokens here. I mean, I think this would be easier to explain. So I should have actually jumped ahead of Tony because now I sound like a parrot. Because I'm the same way. 51st State, Empires of the North, uh, Imperial Settlers. And it's because I like that theme very. I like the dystopian, you know, future theme a lot better. But, yeah, I like this game just fine. I played anytime somebody wants to. Put it on the table. I like Imperial Settlers more, a good bit more than 51st State, so I'm kind of unique in this group. But for me, Empires of the North, after having you know only played a couple of times, it is even better than Imperial Settlers. He really has refined, taken... I, I really see it as a progression all the way from 51st State to where we are now. And I like Empires of the North better for kind of three quick reasons. First off, one thing you mentioned in cleanup phase uh, that you didn't mention in cleanup phase that's kind of subtle but important to me is that you keep any resources left over. They don't magically disappear. And that kind of leads in. And then your workers return back to the pool because this is a more of a worker placement game. You're not spending workers and losing them. And that kind of leads into my second thing is that a lot of the mechanics in this game where he's made changes are more common sense. They make more sense. Like your your goods, when you get them, they don't go away from turn to turn. Your workers go out and do stuff, and then they come back home after the season, like Viking workers would. And then third, I really think he's added in some, some neat features that really add some more decision points, like the paying for your cards when you draw them instead of just getting two random cards or whatever at the beginning of a turn, the action selection wheel in the middle, and then the player interaction of exploring islands. Uh, I really think that adds a lot more interesting decisions that take Empires of the North to the top of the list for me. I always was more partial to 51st State because of the race to 25. Um, I felt Imperial Settlers had this had this uh, automatic just kind of built-in clock. Well, we're going to play, I know we're going to play a full four rounds so I can plan in advance. On our second game of Empires of the North, I played what was considered the hardest faction, and I realized that that once you got it going was amazing, but I didn't get it going fast enough. It's like, well, I know I got, you know, four. Well, we did play four rounds, but it's like, oh, I know there's a clock. I know I got to get this done by this time. You guys are racing to 25, which puts a lot of pressure on this particular faction that was the bankers uh, to kind of get them up and running because they kind of self-generate victory points. But it took a while for, for that to happen. So for me, I've always liked the 51st state mechanic. I like the Imperial Settler setting. But the also the thing about Imperial Settlers was the mixing and matching of basic cards and the different factions and stuff. I think this is a lot easier to set up and everything. Here's your faction deck, your faction deck, your faction deck. Let's play. There's not, not, not a lot of mixing and matching. And this is going to be built for expansions. 
It's going to be, hey, brand new faction deck with some new mechanics. So right now, dang it, it, it combines the thing I love about 51st State with a theme I like from Imperial Settlers. And again, I, uh, right now, if of the three, you say which one to play, I want to, I want to play this one. I just thought there's some great decision points I had to make during the game that I just hadn't seen in the others. Yeah, we're sitting here ranking, but we, we love all three of them. Yeah, no, we, we yeah, do. Yeah. They're also very close. But I think what people, I definitely want to get across, this is not a clone of the other two. Right. This happens to be in the same universe as one, but it's nowhere a clone. 51st State and Imperial Settlers are way closer compared to each other than this is to either one of those two. Yeah, and I'll kind of expand that. You know, we shouldn't just compare to Imperial Settlers and 51st State. I put Empires of the North right amongst some of the other good engine builders that have come out in the last year or two, like um, Gizmos, Res Arcana. The, I mean, those games are high on my list of the last couple of years, and Empires of the North will be right up there with them. Probably more meaty than those, probably. It's, it's heavy than both of those but I, I'm just talking in terms of quality as in yeah. I'm looking to buy those other two games uh, and I'll be looking to buy Empires of the North as well and I have a small game collection so oh, we did get to play with our promo we said we're going to use it in the, in the second game where it's the lawn card I never got to use it because you guys wouldn't use it enough to get it finally passed over to whoa, me whoa 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 you're whoa. welcome my first round it immediately left Oh, so it stuck over at Mark for two turns, and he never got to use it. And again, our, our promo card is, it's it's called Lawn. And what you can do on your turn is you can spend a worker uh, to gain a food. And like I said earlier, food is important if you want to be able to take an extra action on the Pentagon action selection wheel. The Pentapie. <laughs> That's right, the Pentapie. <laughs> and after you use it, it passes to the left. But what's cool about the promo card is it's not having to be drawn from a deck it will be used in every single game. The first player just gets it right off the bat, which I thought was kind of interesting. You would think the last player would get it and not the first player. Mm, yeah. Because it is kind of a benefit to have this thing in front of you at the start of the game. Nah, not enough. <laughs> I mean, it's, <laughs> no. uh, it's got bigger font. Does it have bigger font? Did we decide yes, that this does. game it has, has bigger, bigger font than Imperial Settlers? I can't have no, any no, way no. to compare. Our card has bigger font. Our oh, card. no, you're right. I didn't even notice it. Yeah. The font is way bigger Nate, on our Nate card. Nate pointed that out. Yeah. That's so, hilarious. But as Imperial Settlers... The artwork. I could sit here and just try to find all the little Easter eggs. Yeah. On these I love cards. the art. If you've yeah, ever seen the Pro sure. Settlers art, you're right. There's just Easter eggs all over these little things. Oh, speaking of components and everything, we did have one little nitpick, and that was the colors that are used for each of the person's player pieces. So everybody picks one of the colors. There's red, yellow, green, and blue. But each of the factions have their own scoring tokens which are a different color and the boats each faction has their own boats, but it's hard to tell what boats go with what faction. And so, you know, I'm putting out a red marker on the board, but my scoring marker might be green. And it was just kind of, it took us a while to get used to that. It's like, well, I'm blue here, but I'm green over there. Yeah. And at first that was a big detriment, like, but you know, we kind of forgot about it so far because we learned to adapt to it or whatever. So you can get over it. But I do think it's when you're learning the game and setting it up for the first time, be aware that you're going to have to kind of go through some of those component issues for sure. And, right. the, and the boat designs, I mean, you don't have to match it to your fashion. I mean, it doesn't make sense putting the igloo boat with the 
dwarves, but you know, a lot of the boats look similar enough that as long as you know which ones are yours, it doesn't really matter. But yeah, just keeping track of the okay, which is my marker there and whose marker is that for scoring? We were no, we ran, well, also we ran to with the boats because there'd be boats out there, and, and, and so you put the boats and then you put tokens on top, like the, the fish and stuff. And it's like, I don't know whose boat is yeah. first in the queue, it's just not necessarily intuitive, right? That's what it, I mean, that's you know, but it's it's a minor. It is. It is. I mean, minor. it's something we worked through in the first five minutes of the game, and it was no problem. But I did want to ask one thing, and I don't think it was mentioned yet. If it was, we can just skip over it. But you were the only one that you played uh, the level one faction, yep. and then the the hardest faction. Mm-hmm. Did you notice? Did you have a noticeable difference in there? What was the difference? To me, the hardest faction, the one that's labeled the hardest, they have them ranked one through eight. I thought I picked up on the engine building mechanic of level eight quicker than i did level one yeah interesting but i did score more points with level one than i did level eight i think you had to synergize more with the level eight cards and you didn't have to do that as much with level one and maybe that's what the difference is it's like i don't need to create all these intricate combos with the level eight faction you do have to create intricate combos of of assigning workers doing this removing workers resetting this adding this back in sort of deal got you okay just so curious. Y'all played some different ones. Did y'all notice any varying difficulties between the one y'all? I found played? the faction that I played previously, it was harder to generate the victory points or finding the synergy that I need for that one. Versus, was that the harder faction of the two that you played? No, it was not. As I look at the handy dandy chart in the rule book, it was a, the first one I played was a three and then the, the, is it, Idol clan was a five. I found that to be easier. Now, maybe it's because Nate told me what to do <laughs> versus the other clan, but the other clan, it was like generate a victory point for each resource. So get those cards out, find the individual resource and generate a whole bunch. And then the key me- mechanic of that was unexhaust everything, mm. flip them all, get, get all your unexhaust and rinse and repeat. But it wasn't any like there was one big scoring victory point card that I did not get until the end of the game. So once again, that's a shuffle, luck of the draw, get through the deck, use the explore action to try to find that card if you know that it's in there. It's funny on the second game that we played talking about drawing cards to the deck, each of the card indicates the number of copies of that in the deck. And our second time through, when we were picking our four, I think we we're more cognizant of that. If there was a card that was like, there's only one copy of this, man, if there's only one copy of this one, this one's good, I better take it now. And some of the ones in the latest faction I play, there's like three of one and three of this and two of this. It's like, okay, I could probably pass on this one right now knowing there's another one in the deck. So even that comes into play in that decision at the beginning of the game. Yeah, and yeah, like the other games sure. in the series, that's one of the things I really enjoy is like getting to know the factions, knowing which cards to buy, knowing your strategy. Like it's not just how to churn your engine, but in this one, it's more about which cards to buy and how you time all that. As Tony said at the beginning, our our, our logos on the back it says recommended by rolling dice and taking names. So Ignacy must have been pretty confident <laughs> that we were going to like the game. That grumpy Tony wasn't going to show up. <laughs> that's right. Well, hold on. That would be really embarrassing. It's like, yeah, we can't recommend this at all well, well he did show up when somebody mark <clears throat> took an action that destroyed my the one time i go sailing mark goes out there and destroys all the islands and i'm just oh this this oh my boats are faster than yours i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> man but i know uh tony for us i i, I do recommend I regret, it yeah. i i, I th- if you like the the engine building type games and you appreciate the imperial settlers 51st state i highly recommend it it sounds like you guys who are the impartial ones Probably feel the same way. 
Yeah. Let me know. Yeah, I don't I, want to speak for I you. I would highly recommend it. It's really neat. There you go. Highly <laughs> you, recommend. You don't get it, Dean, no. Highly recommend. There you go. Yeah. And for me, it's an improvement over Imperial Settlers, which for me means a lot. I already own Imperial Settlers, and I'll be picking up Empires of the North, even though I have a relatively small game collection. Yep. Six factions out of the box. You got the action selection, Pentapie, that changes every game. So there's a lot of replayability. Uh, in this, just by switching up factions and the fact that the Pentapie will change every game. So that's going to stick now. It's called a Pentapie. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Tony's like, I'm like, whatever. Whatever. It could be a Pentadonut. <laughs> <laughs> but it looks like it's like little pieces of pie. Okay. Actually, no, uh, okay. Uh, sorry. Uh, enough on that. So, I mean, 45 to 90 minutes easily we once you know the cards yeah that was us we yeah we finished an hour yeah. hour and a half yeah we had to learn the rules in the first game learn the cards and then if you continue to play it kind of like when you think about terraforming mars if you've played that con- constantly you know the cards you know it's quicker you know. than terraforming mars definitely yeah so, especially if you throw in the drafting it plays up to four players but they're all solo solo rules in the game right so yeah the factions the expansions you know they're coming you know the but you got enough in this one box to be honest without any Oh, absolutely. Because I think Imperial Settlers came with four, four to start out with. So it, every, every game you play, even with max players, two factions won't even be used in this one. So, Nate, uh, Mr. Imperial Settlers player, what faction would you like to see him bring into this world? It's a completely different world. Empires of the North would be weird with my favorite faction from Imperial Settlers, which is the Egyptians. How about some Amazons? I think some Amazons. Yeah. <laughs> some Amazon Vikings. Well, I, 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 that would be pretty. I mean, they're they're conquering. The Vikings went over to the Americas. So the Egyptians could go to Iceland? <laughs> well, the, well, the Vikings could come down. I mean, they did make it to France. So, you know. True. You, you and know? the Romans were in Imperial Settlers. And as we know, they can go anywhere. That's so. absolutely and right. There you go. Guys, thank you so much. Uh, Imperial um, Imperials of the North. Wow. Empires of the North coming out of Gen Con. It will be in retail uh, soon after. Yes, yeah, one of those things I'll be probably pulling off the shelf more so than the other two. It, personally for me at this point but i totally get 51st state has an amazing theme too but what's nice is i think we could play 51st state put that away play this one and they would feel like two totally different games yeah agreed for sure guys thanks again thanks for having us thank you editor marty here right after we finished recording this segment ignacy reached out to us and wanted us to mention that he is going to announce two brand new factions coming out for empires of the north even before the game is released. The only details he could share with us is that it's two Japanese-themed factions, which I was immediately confused because if this game takes place like over in Northern Europe and has like a Vikings theme, I'm not sure how the Japanese got all the way over there, but I'm already excited to have two brand new factions because as we said, each of the six factions in the box are totally different. And now there's even two more factions to add. That just brings even more replayability to this game. So keep an eye out for this announcement coming from Portal Games, a brand new expansion coming for Empires of the North after the base game is released. I just recently got to play the brand new game from Plat Hat Games called Abomination, which is a worker placement game that I was super excited about from Origins. However, Tony did not get to play this game, but I still wanted to do a five-minute initiative for it. So what I'm going to do is record the five-minute segment, giving my thoughts and what I think Tony would think about the game. And to be able to pull this off, if you're in the car or have on headphones, when you hear me talking, I'll be coming out of the left side. And when you hear Tony talking, he'll be coming out of the right side. Let's get started. 
five-minute initiative begins in three, two, one. Abomination is a new worker placement game from Dan Platchett. This is a game that's played over the course of 12 rounds for the goal of trying to put together a Frankenstein's monster. Now, Tony, that thing was kind of cool. It takes place a couple decades after the Frankenstein's monster is introduced by, oh God, what's her name? What's her name? Mary, Mary Shelley. Shelley. Jinx, you owe me a drink. I ain't, I ain't giving you nothing. Yeah, yeah. So, Tony, the theme I thought was kind of cool because you're playing a scientist in the early 1800s. You're in Paris. Your goal is to go around and grab different resources such as blood and bone and organs and tissue. Combine those together to create different body parts like legs and torsos and head. I was going to say heads, but there's only one head, right? I don't know. I guess you could have made two heads. And you put them together. And then at the end of the worker placement phase, you have a chance to try to bring those parts to life by rolling dice. And you have a one out of six chance to bring a part to life. Well, yeah, but you didn't tell them what you have to do first. What do you mean? Well, you know, you've got to first, you got to build the part on the muscular side. Then you got to add the skin and the and the blood, which flips it to the other side. And then you can only bring it to life. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I, f I forgot that part. But what's cool about this, Tony, and you thought, and I thought this was cool too. What, the fact that it took us a, a long time to play? No, Tony, we'll, we'll get to that. You're wasting all the time, Marty. Just tell them, you put down workers, you get resources, you turn those resources in to get victory points. Personal most victory points wins. Tony, every game breaks down, breaks down to that. But let me, let me talk about the stuff that's different and unique. Yes, in Paris, you're going around and you're getting, you're trying to get cadavers. And the cadavers produce different types of material. But depending on where you get the cadaver, there's a certain quality. If you go to the hospital and get a fresh body, you got some stage one components there, the best, freshest components. If you go dig up a grave, that is not nearly as good components and the quality is not as good. And where that's important is if you use bad components when building body parts, they're worth less victory points. So you always want to go to the hospital and get the best stuff, but that's obviously the most expensive. Yeah, yeah, but tell them the cool part, Marty. Oh, Tony, you tell them. The resources decay over time, just like real body parts. With smell and everything? No, no, not with smell. Well, we know you knew we were playing with, so they may have had some smell. True. But at the end of each round, any body parts you have in a stage will will go to the next lower stage. Well, it starts at stage one is the best, and then goes to stage two, stage three, stage four, and then it's off the board. So it automatically decays. Well, Tony, unless you go to the market and you get a, a block of ice. Yeah, unless you go to the market and get a block of ice, which keeps it from decaying for that round, which is kind of cool. Yes, but you didn't tell them about the very first phase, Marty, and you're all about the rules thing. Oh, that's right, Tony. So there's the event phase where you have an event deck that's set up at the beginning where you flip over a card and tells you an event. Maybe it says there's a certain location that's locked down or it costs more to get this or that. But there's also a couple encounter cards in there, which are just like Crossroads cards. Whoever is the first player reads the encounter card and says either is resolve now or wait till somebody lands on a spot then resolve it yeah 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 and then we did that and you guys started reading all the flavor text well tony that was the point on the card it said go into the book look up and read a paragraph and it was like go read paragraph a3 and then you would read it a little story and then you would have a decision to make or something would happen yeah yeah but Again, I just wanted to play the game. I know, Tony, but we were trying to thematically get into it. All right, Marty, we're, we're getting to the end. So just let me tell you what I think. 
This game took a while because of AP. Tony, it, w it was not AP. It did take a while, but it wasn't AP. Yes, it was. No, it wasn't. Yes, it was. No, it wasn't. Then what was it? Okay, here, here's the thing. There's a lot of places on the board, like, like the university, where you can earn yourself expertise, and the higher expertise you have, the different parts you can make. For example, it doesn't take a lot of expertise to make a leg, but it takes expertise to make a head, and you track that on these dials on your board. And there's also places where you, your humanity's affected. Where if you go to the graveyard, well, that's not very humane, and you lose humanity, and negative humanity can give you negative victory points. So you're always trying to keep that up. So there's other locations where your humanity can go up. But at those locations, you could also get a card associated with it that may give you an ability or something to mitigate those dice rolls that we talked about. Every time you draw a card, it's immediately replaced, and everybody has to stop and go read what that new card is, which may change what you're going to do. Exactly. Which is AP. Well, no, it's not necessarily AP. It's just the board constantly changes states. And what was listed as a 60 to 120 minute game, and our first game took us four hours. And so playing again, we, we were able to reduce it some and, and drop it, but it still wasn't two hours because you guys have AP. No, I'm just saying this is a different kind of worker placement game where the board state changes constantly. When a new cadaver is taken, it's replaced by another one. When a card is from the university's taken or the academy's taken, it's replaced with another one. Another card over here is replaced with another one. You go to the docks and hire a henchman will help you get uh, bodies. It's replaced with another one. So you're constantly having to look at the board and see what changed. And then all of us are analyzing all this, plus the fact that there's different types of resources and some give them more victory points when you use them than others. So you're constantly doing all this math in your head, which is AP. No, I don't think we were paralyzed by it. It's just there's a lot of options which caused us to think a lot about it. All right, so I'm just going to go ahead and just wrap this up for me. Look, you know I like my worker placement games. Yes, you do. And I liked this one. I liked the, the resources and it was interesting about how you, when do you use them, they get you victory points. But to me, it was just, it was taking, it was taking too long. I wish the 12 rounds would have been eight rounds. So, we, well, what are, you, what are you saying? I'm just saying there might be other worker placement games that I might want to consider. I would play it again. Don't get me wrong. We just have to play it a lot just to really get it down so we you know maybe maybe we know the cards better so we ain't got to reread them every time all right well, well for me tony i love the theme i think it's a really cool theme about putting together a frankenstein's monster i think the dice rolls man we, we struggle with the dice rolls because when you're rolling you have these resources that you can use to charge and when you roll dice you can spend those to roll two dice for every one that you use so you could be rolling a handful of dice but when you only got a one out of six chance and some of the sides on those dice actually deal damage to your body parts where if you do enough damage, they're gone. So you got to be very careful about it. And if you take damage, then you have to go to another place on the board to remove damage from the, and the parts and everything. So there was just a, a lot going on uh, during the game. I do wish, probably Tony, like you, I wish it was a few rounds shorter. I think that would help. We did play with four players, which made it long. I like the theme. I like my worker placement games. But I too wish it was just was just was just a tad shorter. But I love that resource mechanic. Yeah, I will agree that part was neat. So again, that is Abomination from Plat Hat Games out at Gen Con. Five minute initiative is complete. Yeah, so we did just a very extended commercial for Empires of the North. You can tell. We liked it. 
if you want it, it's now available from Portal. You can get it in your local store. You can get it online. But they also have some other things that came out at Gen Con. They've got Academics, the new expansion to Monolith Arena, which you're going to hear, be hearing about soon. Plus, Ignacy's brand new book on how to be a GM for RPGs called Play Smart. And Tony, we got a quote on the back of the book. Yes, we do. We have a quote. I've read through that book. I'm ready to play smart. I'm ready to host an RPG session just based on what Ignacy taught me in that book. Perfect timing for you in our RPG session. So if you want to find out more about these games, and you're going to hear a lot about Empires of the North, guaranteed, not only from us, but from other people who buy the game, you can go check it out at portalgamesus.com. Earlier this year, Games Workshop announced a game that I was super excited about, and it's called Warcry. Now, the reason I was first excited is because many years ago, Tony and I played a card game called Warcry, and I thought, oh my gosh, they're bringing this back. But it was not meant to be, as what Warcry is, is actually another miniature game that takes place in the Age of Sigmar universe. And since we're going into a world of miniatures and Age of Sigmar... And that whole universe, I got to bring my experts on here, which is why I'm glad to welcome back my sons, Adam and Travis. Hello. Howdy. Gentlemen, we sat here over the weekend and we put this this bad boy together. This is a beast of a game as far as what comes in the box. We'll get to that in a second, but let's just talk about exactly what war cry is you know kill team what is kill team kill team is like 40k except it's skirmish based instead of these massive armies with uh, hundreds of models you have a small elite squad of fighters that go up against each other this can feasibly be described as a similar like a more analogous game to age of sigmar it's not the exact same there are there are a lot of differences between this and kill team which we'll talk about but it fulfills the same function of being smaller scale there's only at most what 10 models on the table it's like i think there's anywhere from like 8 to 15 models it's it's something like it's a very small yeah and a lot of people were hoping this was kill team for age of sigmar including me but it's not And and the people who designed this are actually part of the design team from Kill Team and part of the design team from Warhammer Underworlds, which is I am a huge fan of and have talked about uh, before. Before we get into the game, we got to break down. Let's do a little bit of lore, gentlemen. What is exactly going on on this board? Age of Sigmar takes place in the mortal realms, which is the setting that Games Workshop devised to succeed the... uh, old Warhammer fantasy setting that they did away with. Travis is sad about that, I think. He's, we're, 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 uh, <laughs> we're making faces already. Um, we both love Warhammer fantasy, of course, but I've grown to love the Mortal Realms as well. And the Mortal Realms are basically eight planes of material existence, and uh, you can cross from one to another via realm gates. And logically, since there's eight realms, there must be a point at which all realms come together, and that is called the eight points and in this setting it is uh where the lord of chaos archeon has made his stronghold and so chaos followers from all over the mortal realms seek to come here to win his approval and to do so they engage in righteous 
orgies of slaughter in the no man's land. <laughs> listen, I'm using I'm using I'm using Games Workshop language here. Orgies, listen, of, okay, I'm, orgies I'm gonna, of slaughter. I'm going to open up the book right here. This is Games Workshop's writers, man. This is this is what they do. Here we go. Ready? <clears throat> An enormous militarized highway extends from the Varen Spire to each of the Arcways. A warband traveling up one of these roads would be crushed beneath the ceaseless march of Archeon's legions. Like they, when it comes to the lore and stuff and fluff, and, and fluff, they they got it here. So, um, like you just read the Death Guard Codex. You want to know every synonym for disgusting, imaginable? <laughs> it's in there. All right. So now we know where this takes place, and we got factions coming in to fight. Now with the starter set, Travis. This happened to have your favorite faction, or or not faction, but um, what do you call the the chaos? It's called the uh, faction it works. Is, it but is warband would also work. Okay. I don't know what the actual. So you were excited because it's like, oh boy, this is going to be chaos based stuff. Yep. And so that's what exactly what we got here. We got two different armies, and they are Iron Golem and Untamed Beasts. So Iron Golem are. I'm pretty sure in the lore they are weaponsmiths and blacksmiths, so they have, you know, heavy armor and a bunch of different weapons, and untamed beasts are, well, untamed, they use a lot of furs, a lot of bone weapons, a lot of crude weaponry, and they use their numbers as opposed to Iron Golem, who use their superior arms and armor to fight. All right, so there we go. We know why we're here. We know what war bands are here to fight, so let's talk about the game itself. Now, this game... Unlike typically Age of Sigmar or 40K, which is played on a large table, like a four by six or something like that, this is actually played on a game board of size. He's measuring the table right now. He did not prepare this information beforehand. Uh, just wanted to put that out there. 23 inches by 30 inches. So it's a smaller game board, but the nice thing about that is that means you're going to be hooking horns pretty quick. And that's what this game is all about. It's a skirmish game. It's meant to get in there, fight, have some fun, and be done probably in 30 to 45 minutes. Now, what's cool is, is once each of you pick your faction, setup in this game is amazing. Now, typically in large-scale miniature games you come together you decide where we're going to be fighting you take turns putting terrain down you have deployment areas you talk about what objectives you want to do but in this you've got four different decks that will set up the game for you so first one you're going to look at is the card that sets up what the actual board is going to look like it will show the terrain you deck the terrain deck. It'll show you from the terrain that you build from the box where it goes on the board. So once you have the board and terrain set up, and this is what's really nice too, they give you all the terrain you need. You haven't got to worry about, oh my goodness, I've got to find terrain and stuff. They give you everything that you need. And once you put it together, the card actually shows you, okay, take this piece of terrain, align it on the board as such, and it sets up the whole thing for you. Once that's done, you flip over a deployment card. And then you'll deploy your units onto the board and you split them up into like three groups. They tell you, so there's some rules for splitting them into three and then you take turns actually get them deployed on the board. The next deck is the objective deck. Now this tells you how you're going to win the game. So first you set up the train, you deploy your units and then it says, okay, here's how you're actually going to win this particular game. And the last one, Travis and Adam, I thought was kind of cool too, is the twist. Something's going to happen on this board that may calls things as it's kind of a rules breaker it says oh by the way like uh travis not you and i play it was a strong wind or something you know, like that winds something the idea was is that it's harder to hit ranged it's like oh if i throw an if i throw a spear or something the wind's going to catch it and so you, you don't have you can't throw 
ranged weapons as effectively. Speaking of which, by the way, different from Kill Team, there's not a lot of range going on here. It's no. meant to get up in your face and beat each other with axes and hammers. Yeah, for the factions that they give us, each side probably had two units with a ranged attack option. It's just the way I like it. <laughs> you like in the face? Yeah, I, I'm. I don't, I don't like beating around the bush. Shooting phases, not about it. Let's just let's just get to it. And, and whereas kill team, you can pretty much hide behind you know yeah. terrain and stuff like yeah. that and start pew yeah. pew pew. You pew, could be pew. a pansy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we've got everything set up. Now, what's next is I think is one of my favorite mechanics of the game. Each of you are going to roll six dice and you're going to count up the number of singles. Dice that haven't been duplicated. Ah, that's even a better way to say it. Non-duplicate dice and you're going to count those up. Whoever has the most gets initiative and you think, oh, okay, well, that's cool. Except for the fact that the other dice that match either doubles, triples, quadruples, you actually set those off to the sides and those are used for activating abilities during your turn. So while you may get initiative by rolling a lot of singles, your opponent may have a lot of abilities that they can use during their turn. And I love that mechanic. I think it's pretty interesting because you can sacrifice the ability to go first and have the advantage to be able to use more abilities on your turn and maybe put more of yourself at an advantage later on as opposed to early on. Mm -hmm. Sacrifice the uh, tactical advantage for a more strategic advantage later on. And also at that point, you also get a wild die. And you can set that to any side that you want. So you could turn a double into triple, triple into quadruple. Maybe you want to make it a single to try to steal initiative back. So I love the fact it's like, okay, if you got kind of screwed over by the dice roll, well, here's a wild die to try to, to fix, fix your needs and everything. And the abilities do vary in strength. Like a double ability that costs two dice is not as good as one that's a quadruple. But that's not the only thing is not every unit can use every ability. And this is cool too, because every unit has a card that goes with it. And that's all the stats are on the card, which is nice. No more pulling out a book and looking up and flipping through a book and finding your stats. Everything is on a nice card like we used to love with War Machine. And on there, it has maybe a faction icon and it says, which will indicate maybe a certain ability that you can use for that particular model. But while we're sitting on the cards, let's talk about everything that's on the cards. Everything is on there you need to know. Once you have this, you don't even need the rule book anymore. It tells you how far you can move. It tells you your toughness. It tells you your hit points and then gives you stats for your weapon. It tells you the range of the weapon, how many dice you're going to roll for that, what the strength of it is and how much damage it is. That's all the numbers that's on the card. And that's all you need to know. And gentlemen, when compared to 40K and Age of Sigmar, that is way easier to read. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there are only four numbers here. You know, you're thinking about on your turn and then two numbers on, yeah. I guess you're right, seven numbers. <laughs> there's only four numbers. There's, there's seven, only four seven. Numbers. There's seven you numbers. Know what? There's four numbers plus an additional three. <laughs> um, but still, even so, it is far less than you have to know with 40K or Age of Sigmar, like the big version of Age of Sigmar. It makes things so much easier and it really shortens the amount of time each round takes. Like you can knock out a, an action in... 10 seconds like it's just one dice roll and that's it mm -hmm. whereas you'd have to go through like you have to attack to hit you'd have to roll to wound you'd have to do a saving throw with all this in in um not just 40k sigmar but also kill team kill team had save throws also and this game doesn't so it just makes things that much quicker and that much easier and that may appeal to some people and it may not appeal 
Exactly. So when it's your turn, you're going to have alternate activations, which I like because in 40K, Age of Sigmar, basically one person does all their like movement, then the other person does all their movement, then somebody does all their range, the other person does all theirs. So there's a lot of downtime uh, when the other person's activating. Not so here. You pick a character, you got two actions you can do, and you can duplicate these actions. You got four actions that you can do. <laughs> Thanks, Travis. <laughs> but you can do each of them you can duplicate them. So you can move, which is just move your speed. You can attack. You can disengage and you can wait. Now, the two most obvious ones you're going to do a lot is just move. You look on your card. You do have to use a ruler here. You have to rule, move a number of inches. But what's cool is, is you can move vertically. There's some examples in the book where you're doing these kind of acrobats. Like you'll jump three inches on top of a platform and then jump down another couple inches, maybe behind somebody else. So they kind of do these acrobatic moves. Movement is a piece of cake. There's no like, well, if you're climbing, you only go half speed and all this other stuff. Nope. You just go five inches vertically or whatever. Same with leaping. You can leap off a building and move your horizontal distance and land behind somebody else. You could take falling damage, but that's another thing to, uh, to worry about. It's just movement is very dynamic in this game, which I absolutely love. You can actually make use of vertical movement, which yes. in, in most miniatures games that have vertical movement, I never use it because I just don't want to think about, oh, what's half my movement and then I can get my full movement when I get up. So what's half minus the, I just never use it. I just always stay on the ground. But here you actually have a reason to. It's easy and it provides a clear tactical advantage when it's a much smaller scale. And then we talked about attacking, which again is straightforward. You, you pick a target, you pick a weapon. Is it within range of you? Uh, you're going to roll a certain number of dice. And the only kind of thing you got to remember is you compare the, your strength of the weapon against their toughness. If your strength is higher, uh, you will hit on a three, four, five, or six. If it's equal, it's four, five, or six. If it's less, it's five or six. And you might think, oh, how will I remember that? Oh, about after one round, you got it. But that is way easier than Age of Sigmar or, or 40K or, or Kill Team, right? So much easier because like Adam said, there's... Not much you need to memorize. You need to memorize probably three different outcomes. Is your strength larger than their toughness? Is it equal to it or is it less than it? That's the only thing you really need to memorize. Everything else is just check your card, look at it, move the distance, go to your opponent. They move their distance. You come back to you. You can roll your dice to attack. Easy. And in 40K, you got this thing about uh, you do this comparison number, but if it's, you know, if it's less than half of this to that, and then like you said, when you roll, do you hit? And if you do, can they say it? the whole attack mechanism could take, I don't know, 30 seconds to a minute to resolve. I guess once you really get a good quick in that, this is literally five seconds. Oh, okay, you take damage. And there's two damage stats. Sixes are always crits. They always do a little bit more damage. Everything else is just the regular uh, damage on it. So then there's the move. There's the attack. There's disengage. If you're engaged with somebody if you're in one inch and you want to get away, it's just a way to get away from somebody. Hey, they're beating the mess out of me. I'm going to give me a chance to pull away and wait, which is an interesting action because what you can do maybe as your first action, you decide I'm going to wait and put it like put my character on pause. And I want to see what you're going to do. And then you can come back later and activate that one again and get one action uh, for that turn. And during any of these actions, remember those abilities I talked about, you can spend the dice to activate an ability for that particular character. And then you alternate back and forth. Everybody goes and you're back to the top of the round and you roll again and you're off and running. That is the whole game. The wait action is actually particularly intriguing because it creates the strategic possibility of a Mexican standoff in a miniatures game. 
Yeah. You, 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 can, you can do that before. You can just wait. You can just wait for each other. Yeah, that's true. So in the games that we played, we finished, and I don't know, three or four rounds. Three rounds. 30 minutes, 45 minutes. Of course, I, I played uh, really badly. Uh, this game comes with a lot of stuff. It comes with the board. It comes with all the terrain. It comes with the miniatures. It comes with all the cards. Now, the thing is, though, it is a pricey game. It is a $170 MSRP, and people are just like, oh, I'm out. That's it. But there's a lot in this box. There's a lot of plastic in this box, which is now let's get to why would you might be interested in this and why would you not be? One of the reasons why you may not be, if you have zero interest in cutting pieces off of sprues and taking some glue and gluing things together, then you'll probably want to pass on this or get somebody else to make it for you because there's a lot of gluing. There's all, I had you three guys helping me out and there was the terrain and the two factions and there's also the chaos beast. Is it chaotic beast? The chaotic beasts, which are kind of cool. They're like NPCs that can come into play and, and they can roam on the board. But let's say that you're interested and you want to play this game. I love the way there's multiple modes to play. There's just like a quick, oh, just a quick open play. But then there's a campaign mode where when you play, you can get points to spend on your guys to make them better. And you could just play over the course of a campaign. You can recruit new people. So there's this whole mechanism of like playing almost like over a, a campaign where your team changes over time. I'm a big fan of that model. I, I love campaign play and narrative play in miniatures games. And to be able to do it on a small scale is very nice. Yeah. And it's, it's a lot easier to get to and, and do the thing is with me about campaigns. It's like, I just don't have time to do this. Well, something like this, the setup is easy because the cards tell exactly how to set up. You just got to track your stats as you go uh, from game to game. And there's a lot of scenarios in the book uh, that will walk you through, you know, sorts of campaigns. Of course, there's going to be competitive play. It's going to end up being in the stores where you can compete against each other, which means let's, let's talk about list building. So this is really straightforward too. You have, you can build a thousand point war band. The cards that you get actually have point values on them. And, they, and it comes with basically a thousand point armies each. And you're sitting there thinking, well, what if I don't like either one of these? Games Workshop has you taken care of because they have these card packs for like $8 that you can take some of, of your existing models from another faction or just say, I'm interested in that faction to go buy the models for that one. And you can build a war band out of those. And so those cards have all the stats that you need. It's the existing Age of Sigmar models. They just give you new cards. So what that means is if you have an Age of Sigmar army, and you have the models for it, then you can play Kill Team without even buying the box. If you know someone you with- Warcry. If you, yeah, for Warcry, my bad. If you, if you know someone with the rule book, if you know someone with the train, you can go and take your models, and all you, have to, all you need is the cards, and that's it. You're good to go. Yep. And if you have a lot of terrain, to be honest with you, you could just buy the rule book. Oh, yeah. You could do it with any terrain, any models. All you need are the rules. So the rule book and then those cards with the extra stats. And you know that over time, they're going to release more of these card packs to have more factions. Like I've already pre-ordered the Night Haunts because I, I want the Night Haunts because I've already got Night Haunt models from the starters from the Age of Sigmar. So I can't wait to try those out. All right, gentlemen, let's talk about this. Let's wrap this up with what type of gamer are you and is this something you would be interested in? If you are a hardcore Age of Sigmar 40K player, do you think there is a lot of value in this? Because not a lot of value. Do you think this will have an appeal to you being less crunchy uh, just because of what the appeal of 40K and Age of Sigmar is? Less so than Kill Team, in my opinion, just because the list building in this game isn't as open and customizable as it is in Kill Team, such as if you wanted to play 
like one of the box, one of the one of the factions that came in the box. Those are the only models for that faction. There's no different models. And if you want to swap it up a little bit, you got to buy another box of those. But it's not like Kill Team where you like micromanage each one's different role, the weapons that they have, are they the leader, their abilities, things like that. There's just less options for min-maxing, so to speak, in this one. So I'd say it is less for hardcore and more for sort of people who just want to play a fantasy war game quickly. Yeah, and there and there are plenty of 40k and Age of Sigmar players out there, myself included, who who may find um, the the all the loadout options in 40k to be daunting or exhausting, and in, in which case this would be a, a clear choice because you're not having to choose anything. But th- you do lose a little bit of customability customization uh, with this game, but you do gain the added just quickness and simplicity and just the pull it out and go aspect of it, which is something that you still don't have exactly with guilty. So let's go to the other end of the spectrum. Never played any miniatures game before. I, I had said before that Warhammer Underworlds was a great step in that direction because it has models, but once the models are built, it's more like a card game because you got to build decks to me. Warcry is the next logical step above Underworlds because you do have a little bit of customization with the list now. It's not a fixed warband like it is in Underworlds. You do introduce using a measuring tape, which doesn't exist in Underworlds. So it's almost like it's just like a little step above. It's like I want to dip my toe into miniatures game, but I don't want to commit hundreds and hundreds of dollars and hours and hours this might be a good fit. This is a better entry to miniature war games than Underworlds. I agree. Okay, so why is that? Because you make a list, you roll the dice, you measure it out. Like in Underworlds, you use a special set of dice where it has the um, axes and hammers and the shields. And this, you're rolling your regular you know, six-sided die. You have to build a list. It's more open than Underworlds is. Underworlds exists in its own little world, I think. Um, it's on little underworld, underworld if you will. If you will yeah. Uh, yeah, the dice can only be used in underworlds. Yeah. The models are unique to underworlds. Yes, you can use them in Age of Sigmar, but they're still made for underworlds and unique to that. And the cards are unique to that. And I think that this game feels less segregated to itself. I mean, yeah, the war bands, you aren't, I mean, that that's it. They were made for Warcry, but you can still port in these other models, which is something you couldn't do with Underworlds. I can't take my models that I use for Age of Sigmar and use them in Underworlds because they're not an Underworlds war band. Um, another thing is I think that going from space or hexagon based movement to using a measuring tape is a huge step and, and breaking those like uh, movement shackles and giving you free movement i think is a huge step towards the thinking that you do in a miniatures game the strategic movement and everything because before you're playing you're playing chess more or less i mean your your models move a certain amount of spaces that they can only move every time and there's a set number of plays but this you have terrain you have sight lines you have flanking you like there's there's a lot of strategy and tactics that are lost when you take away this free measuring tape style movement that this game allows you to experience on a much easier setting wow okay that that's a very fair assessment there's really nothing in there that i i would counter i guess maybe maybe i had to go back and look i, I know i'll probably say this is a good intro to to miniatures games i said underworlds but maybe that was more along the lines of just being able to get models and put them together because it's there's a very few models and those are kind of push to fit models these are more your standard 
got to have some glue and have a patience to hold a couple things together. Yeah, Underworlds is a good introduction to miniatures, like oh. the physical things that you put together and you paint if you want to. This is a introduction to miniature gaming where you use them in a larger setting than what you would get in Underworld. And would you both agree probably better than Kill Team? Unless you just love sci-fi. Well, I I I mean, I've expressed this, intro I've than- expressed this opinion before. Hey, barricade the door for this one. I like Age of Sigmar better than 40K. That's uh, that. That's just is what it is. So I, I'm drawn to the setting more. I like fantasy better. I, 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 let me rephrase my question. Do you think this is a better entry to miniature game than what Kill Team okay, is? Not okay, that you okay, like Kill okay, Team okay. or this more. Um, in that case, yes, I think so. For me, uh, I too, Adam, I like Age of Sigmar more. Um, I was hoping for a Kill Team-ish type Age of Sigmar, and I, I think this is it. It's, I mean, the setup and everything is so easy to play. The only barriers I think for people would be, number one, it's a the price points 170 bucks that's a lot but you do get everything you need out of the box and you'll have dozens and dozens of hours of play just with this because the variability of the setup there's a lot of cards in those decks 20 to 25 cards for each of those four decks so that's millions of combinations every game and it'll be totally different and i mean one of the terrain pieces over there is a, a bell with skeletons hanging off of yep. it so if that didn't make you go like buy it right now i <laughs> but- by the way, be careful with those skeletons. The, it's, the noose has already broke oh, yeah, once. They're, on a, they're tiny. They're, they're tiny. Yeah, GW's you know miniatures game, they, they got some crazy detail on these things. They look amazing. And if you're coming from a board game perspective, I think the rules for this are very straight board game-ish. How many games have you played like Arcadia Quest and Zombie Side where it's like, okay, you got two actions. You can do this, this, or this, and you can do it a couple times. That is 100% like a board game rule. You got four actions you can do on your turn. You can do them twice. If you're coming from just a strictly board game background, you've, you've never played anything like this before, you are not going to be confused or lost reading these rules. You're going to be like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And downtime is almost non-existent. It's literally move, take an action, and it's the other person's turn, which I also like too. So here's the thing. This is what I kind of wanted War Okay, originally I wanted War Cry to be the original card game coming back. But aside from that, uh, I wanted my Kill Team Age of Sigmar and even that this one's not as crunchy as Kill Team, but I'm A-OK with that because to be honest with you, I think I can build a list easier. I think in my limited amount of time to devote to a miniatures game, I think this is the one I'll come to more often. Uh, this is going to be coming out now in stores, and this is just the start. If you know anything from Games Workshop, this isn't the last you're going to hear from Warcry. Just like Kill Team kept coming out with new teams, guaranteed they're going to come out with new warbands or new cards for existing models. And like I said, I've already ordered my Nighthaunts. And we were going to order Adam Iron Jaws, and they've already sold out at Miniature Market. Yeah, that's the only army that I could have run, and it's the only one that sold out. So. <laughs> and Travis got Dodgers of Cain, which you've always been wanting to play. Yes, but those models are very expensive. So it'd be hard <laughs> to do a whole Age of Sigma army, but that's what Core Cry's for. <laughs> that's 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 exactly. And there's no rules for Nurgle demons in Warcry. He he's all about the Nurgle over there. All right, guys. Well, thanks so much. That is Warcry from Games Workshop. It's out now. Let's set it up and go again, gentlemen. As mentioned at the beginning of the show, this episode is brought to you by Capstone Games. And Tony, Capstone Games is one of those publishers of the past couple of years that every time they release a game, what is that coming out right there? So it's no surprise that some games they're going to have at Gen Con are hot and people are going to be very excited about it. Obviously, Pipeline has already been, you know, very popular, Tony, and that's a heavier game that we still got to have a chance to play, but everybody's raving gaga over it. Have you read or seen anything about it? No, 
Uh, no, I'm kidding. Of course I've seen about it. I've seen it. I've read about it. Yes, I'm very excited to get it on the table. And then uh, I can't wait to play you in Watergate. I had a chance to play this two-player asymmetric game at Origins. We were hoping to get a copy before Gen Con, but uh, the shipment is stuck in Canada. Canada of all places, Tony. What do they know about Watergate? Did they erase the tapes? What? I don't understand. I- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we'll be checking that game out after uh, after Gen Con, where Tony and I can sit down and play, and we'll each of us will play each side. You're going to hear a lot of hype over that one, but also I'm excited about, <laughs> and it's funny, when Clay said, would you guys be interested in checking out this game, and it's spelled R-A-G-U-S-A, immediately I thought, RAG USA? RAG USA? No, it's, it's Ragusa. Ragusa. It's a place in Italy. And I thought, well, that sounds cool and kind of cool, but why would I be interested in that? So I went and looked it up. Ragusa, this game, is designed by the same person that designed Kalimala, which we loved last year and was a nominee for a scrolly reward. So as soon as I heard it was the same designer, well, yep, yep, I'm very interested in this game. Well, hurry up and get them here. I mean, it's not like we're going to have anything to play after Gen Con, so I expect these to be on the table. <laughs> Uh, uh, they will be. So uh, a big thanks to Clay for uh, being a part of this episode. Capstone Games is an amazing company. They're one of those games. I love their business model. Basically, they pick these select games. They would just release a few a year, but they're the cream of the crop for them. Component quality is amazing. They're starting to get big name designers, uh, put their games out. And I swear, every time a game comes out, it gets a lot of buzz. We've already seen it with Pipeline. We're seeing it with Watergate. Uh, so again, you can check out more if you want to find out more from them over at their website at capstone-games.com. Hey, Tony, one thing I forgot to mention while I was at uh, the Southern Fried Gaming Expo, I got to check out a new game from Yellow. So you know those uh, game from AEG called Tiny Towns? Yes, I, I play it with uh, everybody, yeah. Not to be outdone, Yellow has a new game called Little Towns. Everybody's on this town kick. I got a chance to play uh, Little Towns with Will and Sarah from Tantrum House while I was at the uh, the con where it's like, hey, let's pull this game out. It's one of those games that, Tony, have you ever had games where, like when you read the rules and it's like so simple you think this game's going to be boring? And then you play the game and you went, whoa, oh. There's more to it than what you think. Like the actions are easy, but the decisions you have to make are tough. Oh yeah. That's exactly what this game is. This is a tile placement game and also a little bit of a worker placement where you have like a five by five grid or some, some size uh, grid. And when you put a worker down on one of the empty spots on the grid, any uh, spots that are around it, whether it be like a resource spot that's already on the map or like a building, you gain its benefits Maybe you gain resources, you get something from it for any of the eight adjacent around it. So it's not orthogonal. It's any eight touching the the spot around one square, whether it's your building or not. Now, if it's somebody else's building, you have to give them a coin, be able to take advantage of it. The whole goal is to collect victory points. That's, That's the whole thing is. Hey, place a worker or maybe place a worker to put a new building out and try to generate a little bit of an engine. But what the interesting decisions were is once you put a building into a spot, then a worker can no longer go there. There may have been this prime spot on the board, like in between three or four buildings that was that was adjacent to it to get a lot of sweet stuff. Or once somebody puts a building on that spot, that spot is gone. Mm. So over the course of the game, you're like, oh, wow, I really don't want to put a building here because it's a really sweet spot to get some resources. And somebody else may recognize, hey, you're getting a bunch of sweet stuff there and it's all your buildings around it. So you ain't got to pay anything. So they plop a building in there to block it so that you can no longer use it. 
And then there's also these uh, conditions that you have that are secret objectives, whereby it's trying to achieve something like maybe build a building and have nothing to touch it out in the wilderness. And then you get ticked off when somebody builds something around it. It is one of those things, very simple game, but it plays in like 45 minutes. And it's one of those, it's like, yeah, this will just fill time. And at the end of the game, all of us thought this game is a lot better than I thought it would be. It's like, I think, Tony, you would like this better than Tiny Towns because it's not a special relations thing at all. But it's as simple as Tiny Towns, plays just as fast, but I think it'd be more up your alley. How many does it play? Because Tiny Towns gets up to six. Uh, it plays up to four players. So so that's it. But that that's fine. It makes the game uh, move quick. And I'm actually looking at a picture of the, the board right now. It's actually a seven by five grid that it plays on. So again, it, it moves quick. I, I Like I said, I think you would actually like this one a tad more uh, than what you did Tiny Towns. It's less brain hurdy when it comes to how do I fit these shapes on here? It's more brain hurdy. It's like, hmm, where's a good place to plop a building and a good place to put a worker to try and get the resources I need to build those buildings and generate the victory point sort of deal. Anyway, it was a surprise to me. It, it was shocking me how well I liked it. And that's coming out of Gen Con too. It's called Little Town from Yellow. If time allows, let's go over there and play. It's a little small box too. It's it's really cute. So yeah, Little Town, uh, really cute surprise coming out of Gen Con from Yellow. That's going to be one of those that maybe not a lot of people talk about. But if you like Tiny Towns and you like the same sort of weightiness of it, that's exactly what this is. They just announced the winners to the Spill de Jar. Right? Yes, they did. Wingspan won. Congratulations, Wingspan. That was the same category um, our good buddy Ignacy was in, right? Yes, he was in there for detectives. Uh, so, yeah. hey, And I talked to him today. I said, I'm sorry he didn't win. He said, he said, that's fine. He said, I honestly thought Wingspan would win, but he said, it's an honor to be in that top three. I went, dude, yes, yes. big time. Just one did win. Mm-hmm. And we got to play, we were playing Just One this past weekend. So I picked a clue. And this is where Just One, I think can sometimes have an issue because it happened like three times for us when we were playing. The first one, my wife picked one, and the clue was, I won't tell you what it was. I won't, I won't tell you the word. I'm going to give you what we, we wrote down. Okay. Vampire. Okay. Geller. And I'm going to stop there. You don't need the other three. G-E-L-L-E-R. E-R. Vampire. Geller. Do you want the other one? Slayer. Okay. Well, yeah, I did need that one. Okay. Well, I say Buffy. Right. So all that was out there. My wife has never watched that. Okay. That was a loss. Buffy was one of the words? Really? Buffy. I, I didn't know there was like proper names like that. I thought there was more like things. Well, maybe it's you're buffying a car. You're buffying a car. Yes. Wow. Wow. Hey, yes, but yes, at least the people that you played with recognized what it was and gave some really good, those are good clues. Right. Geller. Uh, Slayer and Vampire. Yeah, that's that's a no-brainer then. And the reason why I said I needed one more, because I could have said Slayer or Buffy. True, I understand. So I pick one, and here's what they give me. Xbox, Forbidden, Cart, System, 90s. Okay, Xbox, Forbidden. Forbidden, Cart, Cart, C-A-R-T. K-A-R-T. K oh, K-A-R-T. System, 90s. And they're all looking at me like, well, you're going to get this one. Console? Close. PlayStation. Cart wasn't on PlayStation. Xbox totally throws me off because I'm trying to think of an Xbox game. No, that was too hard. No way. But I've pulled out PlayStation. Why not Sony? Because they had no clue what... <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't know who oh made it. Oh my gosh. So they were just... This would have been easy. Console... 
Sony, stop. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> and and but they had no no clue about what the PlayStation was, who made it, or anything like that, or any. And they thought one guy said, "Well, wasn't Mario Kart on the PlayStation?" I'm like, "No." What was forbidden? They were forbidden in one of the people's houses to have video. Oh games. my gosh, that helps. That doesn't help at all. <laughs> But just one, congrats on your win at Spill de Jar. Bandicoot, that would have been an obvious one. <laughs> Sony, console, games, Bandicoot. Uh-huh. Uh, you just solved a mystery for me. So my family was together this past Friday night. We were looking for something to do. I said, let's play a party game. And I turned this house upside down looking for just one, forgetting that you had taken the copy of Just One with you. And you're wrong. I bought my own. That I have no clue where Just One is right now in this house. So I said, fine. So I'll get Say Anything, which I've never played before, uh, which was a very popular game. Say Anything, as soon as we started playing, this is like, this is like every other game where basically you put down a, a choice of words. Everybody puts down a word and the person, the judge picks one word and you're hoping he picks your word. And then you bet on which word you think he's going to pick. Basically, it's like a question. They ask you a generic question like one of them was. And by the way, this lit up Twitter when I did this one. Uh, who would you say is the most overrated band? So everybody put down names of bands. And then I secretly picked one. And the people had two tokens to vote on which one they think I would say. And if they picked the right one, they would get points, etc. Very straightforward, but we had a really good time with it. Again, kind of a generic apples to apples types mm-hmm. game, but it was fun. Sometimes you gotta, gotta go back to those simple old school type games. They're blast. Speaking of going back to games, you and I went back and played Monolith Arena with the brand new expansion coming out of Gen Con from Portal called Academics. Whenever I sit and play Monolith Arena with you or whoever, to me, that game is comfort food. That game is just like, ah, I'm just going to sit down. We're going to put out these tiles. We're going to draw some tiles. I'm going to use two tiles and put them on the board. We're trying to knock each other's units out. I don't know. It's just a very soothing game to me. It's, It's a game that I just enjoy diving into. So I was excited to get out Academics, which is the brand new faction. And he introduces this new mechanic of mana, uh, where you can put mana on a unit. And if you can generate mana, it, it boosts it somehow. Maybe it does an extra attack or maybe it boosts its initiative so that it attacks earlier. There's also healing now. So you can heal up units. You can heal up your, your banner, which is basically, uh, like your base. I really, really like this new faction. It's different than the others. If you, y'all have not yet tried Monolith Arena, it's only a year old. I, it needs some more love. It's a fun, fun, fun two-player game. And Tony, we, we, every time we play it, we go, we need to play this more. Yeah, and how quickly it comes back to us. It was instantly. Yeah. It, it's little. It's like, okay, how do we start? I draw one, then you draw two, then we draw three, then it's back and forth until somebody wins the game. Every once in a while, you, get, you have to realize, okay, I forgot the range. And how to have the range work and, and, and the melee, the shields block the range, but not melee. It's just fixing it, fixing those little rules that you might've forgotten. And that, that's pretty much it. But you destroyed me. Well, you were playing a faction you've never played before. Yeah. But you, you still did a really good job. You, you took me out, but I really like that academics faction. That's going to be one of my more favorite ones to play. And, and I'm going to add a little bit to that as the opposing player of it with the mana, you got to sit there and think, okay, he's kind of a weak player, but if you get that mana token on him, 
Suddenly, like I believe you had a range player that would only do one damage, but if you were able to put mana on him, suddenly it's like three. Yeah, yeah, and I had it situated so it was shooting across the board at your base, mm -hmm. which would deal three damage every time. So all of a sudden, you had to try to get around to it to take that sucker out. Exactly, so you can't ignore that. You got to say, okay, if he gets that supercharged mega blaster loaded up, ready to go, I'm going to take a lot of damage and it's going, it's not going to feel good. I tell you, Tony, games like War Chest, Monolith Arena, and Duke, those, those are, you're in mind, just really type of games. We just love sitting down playing those. Yes, I, I enjoy those. Oh, before we go, one thing that I was super excited about. So San Diego Comic-Con. Uh, was just this past weekend. Did you watch any new trailers or anything? Did you yes, watch yes, the new yes. Watchmen trailer? Yes. All right, so talk to me. What'd you see, man? I was impressed with Mr. Cruz showing up to show off Top Gun 2. Dude, as soon as I pulled up that trailer and as soon as I heard the dong, chills, chills, it's like, I don't care that he's going back. I don't care they're trying to recreate this, this 80s movie. Tom Cruise is back as Maverick. I'm all in. Well, so Don's looking at me like, Okay, he would be retired. She starts making sense out of it. And I'm like, let's not oh, make stop. sense out of it. Let's enjoy <laughs> the flight. Let's, we are, I'm like, first off, this movie is begging for IMAX. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Can, can you imagine? I mean, oh. they had some incredible flight sequences in the 80s movie. How good is it going to look now? Holy cow. I mean, those cockpit views from that trailer, I was like, oh. <gasps> Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. So th that's the one that caught my eye. I didn't get to check out the Picard one that was released. Oh, go check it out. Have you heard all the people that's coming back for Picard? No. Jerry Ryan's going to be in it. <gasps> Guy who plays Rikers in it. Oh, uh, Fracas. Who's the dark-headed lady? The dark-headed lady? Uh, Counselor Troy? Yes. She's back in it. Data's in yeah, it. Yeah, Brent Sprinter's in it. I saw that. Yeah. Here's the thing. People listen to the show know I'm not a huge Trekkie. I just kind of watch as a peripheral fan just to watch a decent show, but I don't understand all the lore and everything. But I do remember for it was right, 90s, next generation, 80s, 90s, there was some cheesy moments to it, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I wonder if they're going to do that or they're going to have a more serious note on this one for this day and age. Yeah, I, I don't know. It looked more serious, the trailer. Go watch the trailer. The trailer looks way more serious and less campy and silly than what some of the next generation had not all of it there was some there was some deep stuff in there too matter of fact i think it was bbc america was running a whole bunch of next generation leading up to it and i got to mm -hmm. see some of my favorite episodes so and you know me i was always a next generation fan but what did you see that just spun you up well i mean a, a top gun uh, was obviously a big one i watched the watchman trailer i don't know I don't know, man. Uh, Watchmen is such one of the, it's one of those things I don't need to be touched. It's such a good story, but they're going to try to continue that. Damon Lemon, uh, Damon Lindolf, uh, the guy who did Lost and several other things, uh, is the, uh, the guy that's running it. So we'll, we'll see how it does. Uh, obviously a lot of phase four of Marvel was announced. Uh, you've got the, you know, the new, the new Thor movie coming out where <laughs> I was going to say Amadelia. Wow, Natalie Portman uh, is coming back, and she's going to be able to wield the hammer. Okay. Uh, there was a storyline in the comics where there was a, a Lady Thor, and uh, she's going to be doing that. Uh, you got Black Widow coming out. You got all those Disney Plus shows that are coming out. WandaVision. There's a Loki one. Uh, Hawkeye. Doctor Strange. That's the one I'm probably looking forward to. Oh, oh, the one that I was not expecting. A new Blade. People forget Blade was one of the first ever uh, comic book movies 
you know, from the 90s, it's just forgotten because comic book movies weren't that big then aside from Spider-Man. Blade was good. The first Blade and Wesley Snipes in it was a good movie. I was making sure I was thinking the right one. Blade was Wesley Snipes. Thank you. And that is the correct name. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for checking me on that. Fact check. I like the character of Blade. Right, well, anything with vampires, I'm in. Half vampire, half human. I, I love his, his lore. So uh, I can't wait to see that. And the guy that's playing him is the guy, real famous actor. He's in a lot of different things uh, right now. He has, has a, a lot of lot of good. He was in Green Mile, uh, the actor. Not Green Mile. Holy crap. Green uh, the one about the, uh, the just won an award. You're talking about the, uh, the one about, uh, uh Victor Monson, uh, takes the gentleman on the yes. ship. Um, I think it's called the, um, green book. Green book. Thank you. Green mile <laughs> was Tom Hanks. That's the Tom Hanks movie about the, uh, the prison yeah. and the mysterious yeah. things. The going dead on man there. walking, dead man walking. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah. Uh, green book. He started in that movie. He's a really, really good actor. I think he was in true blood also uh, known for that, but there was one other thing. So, uh, the Russo brothers who directed, the Avengers movies. Uh, they directed second Captain America movie, uh, Winter Soldier. They did the last two uh, Avenger movies. They announced they're bringing to the big screen one of my all-time favorite cartoons that I've mentioned on this show before from the 70s, Battle of the Planets. And I'm going to leave it up to you because I never watched it. You never you never came home and watched Battle of the Planets on cartoons? Star Blazers, man. Star Blazers. Well, it was all on the same block. The same comment, same cartoon block. No. Anyway, so Battle of the Planets, one of my favorite cartoons being brought to the big screen by Joe and Anthony Russo. Because of those guys are behind it, I'm super pumped, so I can't wait to see what happens. So, yes... Uh, I followed all the stuff on San Diego Comic-Con. I like watching all the trailers. It was very entertaining. Uh, if you want to come out to our guild page at 1589, let us know if there's some really cool trailers and stuff you saw because we're all time talking about movies. In fact, we got a, a thread going right now that's what is your favorite movie of all time? And I've yet to answer it because I can't come up with the appropriate list. I just need to go ahead and put some out there, but it will change tomorrow. That's why I haven't done it yet. And if you're going to Gen Con, be sure to find us. We're out there. We'll be in the crowd, but we'll be easy to spot because we'll be one of the few people walking around with shirts on, uh, squirrels on their shirts. <laughs> with shirts on. Shirts on, We're one yeah. of the few people at Gen Con who actually wear shirts. Well, no, we'll have squirrels on our shirts. We're not hard <laughs> to find. And so just come up, say hello to us. Of course, we've got the meetup going on Thursday night. Very excited about that. Looking forward to doing that. Miniature Market, of course, donating those incredible uh, the swag for us. Thank you, Miniature Market, for doing that. Friday will be in and out all day looking forward to that hitting all the publishers just like everybody else irritating people asking questions that's our goal in life Saturday who knows where I'm going to be I might be sleeping like somebody did to me last Gen Con I'll meet you later took an hour and a half nap not pointing names or saying anything calling anybody out speaking of calling people out if you happen to see us make sure to come up and tell us what kind of lawnmower you have or if you don't have a lawnmower we'll have a promo card for Empires of North to hand you right then and there and we'll have some at the portal booth if you want to come by and you see us we'll make sure to give you a card and make sure to come by and pick up uh, Empire of the North and you academics get Ignacy's new book play smart and if I have him sign the book right there because I'm for sure getting a copy and I'm going to have him sign it and I'm then going to also then if you're in line with it getting Ignacy we're going to take the book and we're going to sign it too even if you don't want your want us to 
<laughs> that's like uh, no you're not probably true don't be defacing my book what's wrong with you fool that's right we're running long marty so i want you to remind me about something for the next episode which is our gen con episode i uh, don't know if we'll get an opportunity to talk about it but i need to bring up another issue that is happening over at the watch it played studios okay well then you need to put that in our show notes or it will surely be forgotten so go ahead and put it in there now. I will put it in there now, and just a little teaser here so that everybody can say, well, what about this when we forget over a couple of months? But it's all about this box flipping thing. Uh-oh. If people like the box flipping thing, Tony, you're going to rub some people wrong. I'm not going to, no, I'm not going to say anything bad about it, but I do have a question. To flip, Okay. When you t- hold it, hold okay. it. Uh, Don't you want to save it till next episode? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll save it. I'll save it. Here's the thing is he may be in one of our segments on the Gen Con episode. You can ask him face to face, dude. Oh, that'll be a fun discussion. All right. There you go. So that, we won't be talking about what we did during the day. Tony's going to have a beef with Rodney and then we'll talk about the whole discover thing too and see if he's going to fix that. Because here's what Tony, I know right now. He's recording or writing his instructional video for Empires of the North, which has solo rules. I cannot wait (laughs) to see what he says. And we're going to have so much fun when he says, I'll leave it to you for you to discover the solo rules for yourself. Because I doubt he'll teach those in that game. Exactly. And I don't know if he'll be able to get through them and how many takes it will take him. So I'm very excited about Gen Con. Can't wait to get there. But... Keep rolling and taking names. Thanks for listening, everyone. Make sure to check out episode 178 when it's released, as that is our big Gen Con episode where we will be recording live every day with special guests and friends telling about all the games we saw and, and all the other shenanigans. Hey, Marty. Did you see our cool new Rolling Dice and Taking Name shirts by Mumswear? I posted it on Twitter. I did. They look sharp. I know. And the blue is going to bring out the blue in my eyes and yours is brown. What's that going to bring out? The gray in my hair. All right. Come on, y'all. Y'all going to be getting some games soon, right? You're going to be buying some games. You're going to need some organizers for cards and bits and you can find all that stuff over at thebrokentoken.com you know that right and of course with these new games coming out they're going to be designing brand new organizers for those new games one of the ones i'm excited about that i can't wait to get that was just on pre-order was the mansions of madness crate i'm going to be seeing that again at gen con i'm just going to like be drooling over because it holds everything but it's going to have a lot of stuff out there at gen con and when they uh get back I'm sure they're going to have some new pre-orders up for brand new games. So make sure to go check out all those new organizers and all those bits and pieces that you can use for storing and sorting and collecting your cards and dice and bits and everything. And you can find all that at thebrokentoken.com. Thanks for listening.